Yes, yes, y'all, it's going down right now. Episode 78 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast is coming at you live. I am your host, the man from the foreign land of Canada, Mood 616. And of course, I've always got my homie right in front of me on the Skype screen. The homie Pennsylvania Whore Pusher Double Shot J, also known as JP. What is going on, homie? Hey, what up, man? We are back once again. Yep. Just right one week after the other one, but we had a little bit of a scare because <laughs> I thought that I wasn't going to be able to record the show today. And uh, actually, yesterday was it yesterday that I texted you and said that? Yeah, you did actually. Yeah, okay. read the morning time. So. so I texted you and I was like, hey, I don't think I'm going to be able to do the show. Can you do it here? No. Can you do it here? No. Well, I can't <laughs> do it here. So can you do it here? No, I can't do it there either. <laughs> Uh, and then um, last sort of, I guess it wasn't the final hour, but, you know, l- last night I had said that I could do it. Uh, but a- a- apparently I kind of messed you up because you were like, oh, I guess I'm not doing a show. I guess I don't have to watch these uh, Hen and Lauder films since I've been putting them off all week. Uh, and then I'm like, yeah, we're doing it. So you had to marathon uh, the three films last night, huh? Yeah, I did actually. I mean, I had I had, I had such a busy week, man. I was just, It was one of those weeks where I didn't really – get to watch a lot of stuff i was just because i i got home late monday night i got off the plane um i was in vancouver went and seen iron maiden got up literally got in my car and drove straight to the bmx track where my son was at you know doing practice and stuff and i got home and just crashed straight out so that was like my monday night and i was busy tuesday and wednesday and i was so i had this plan i'm like well i usually don't like to do this kind of like shortchange myself and kind of marathon things and stuff I re- I'm just that's not how I operate. I usually kind of like to spread it out throughout the week. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, well, Thursday morning, I have to go down, you know, do these finalization papers for the adoption and things like that. And I'm like, OK, so I'll be home by 11 in the morning. I'll watch, uh, you know, one of the films and then I'll watch two after Troy goes to bed later in the night. So I have this plan. And then you text me in the morning while I was at the government building and you said, pretty much you're not gonna be able to do the show and i was like okay well that sucks and then we tried to figure out some shit and it just was not working and i was like okay well this is fucking lame so shit you know shit happens um and then yeah uh, and you know honestly let's fill that man on this it kind of was you know normally when something happens we're just like oh we'll just do it next week then you know skip a week but unfortunately we actually have something scheduled next week with uh matt yeah the homie yeah. matt's coming back on the show we're gonna do the tremors franchise yeah, that's right. That's so right. it was really going to jack everything up if we couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So continue. <laughs> yeah. So I, I got this text and I was like, oh, well, fuck. OK. So I kind of went on with my day, um, spent some time in the in the room, in the film room, <laughs> spent about four hours doing some organization. So it's getting closer, people. The, everyone's been bugging me for it. Um, but anyways, so I went and picked him up to my thing. And then you text me later on in the night. And it was about 730 my time when I read the text. And you're like, yeah, um, the show's back on. I'm like, OK, shit. All right. So I guess I'll pop in brain damage and then Frank and Hooker. So I had to mar- marathon these. But knowing that they were short anyways i wasn't worried and you know i was done by 12 30 at night so it wasn't that really be a big of a deal but it's something i generally don't do i never marathon things like that when i'm doing for the shows so i like to spread it out because because generally we're watching other films too right yeah so. and you know one of the worst examples of that or best examples i guess is when i marathon the three Fauci films in one night which were a little yeah. longer and it was just it was too much to take in at once and they i was kind of running them together a little bit and it yeah, kind yeah. of it yeah. kind of impacted my general thoughts towards the film slightly you know i still liked all yeah. of them but it was just like you know a little too much all at once yeah. 
Well, and oddly enough, you know, during the week, I'd actually even watched an Italian film. I had done that preparation for my Italian stallion. So it kind of worked out. You know, I was like, at least I'm fully prepared. I don't feel like I'm like scoundering around to try and find something for segment or something like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, that oddly enough worked out. So yeah, it's very odd that shit totally works out for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so, uh, yeah, it's never without a dull moment. There's always complications, but that's the thing with these schedules, man. Fuck, I know it's just so damn limited. But what are the chances, though? Like, hey, we'll just do it next week. Oh, we can't because Matt has that day off purposely to do a Tremors franchise show. Shit. Yeah, which was honestly like I planned that wrong because I thought that uh, this week was actually going to be recorded next. Like in my head, like two weeks ago when I was planning this out. I thought that this show was actually going to be recorded next week. And then the week after that was the tremor show, which Uh-oh. jacked me up because I only have, I'm working like six days in a row this week and I work the day that we actually record the show. So, uh, I literally have to squeeze in these, these five films at like random times during the week. <laughs> yeah. Not, not the greatest week to be working six days and have to squeeze in five films. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. I, I honestly can't remember. I haven't watched like the sequels of Tremor. I mean, I watched Tremors five re- most recently. Anyways, yeah, that's back, the but... only one I'm not looking forward to watching. Just simply because I literally just watched it a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, so, but the other, like, honestly, like, I'm not. Sweating Are they long this at all? I don't think they're long, but I'm not sweating this at all because seriously, I can watch like the first three in in a marathon format and not even not like it. Like I, I really enjoy those movies. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that yesterday. I'm like, ah oh, man, I was trying to think of the Tremors films, and I'm like, man, I, I'm in really desperate need of rewatching the films. Like, I haven't even seen the first one in years. Right? I remember really enjoying the first three, um, and I for the life of me can't remember for, but I think I do remember not caring for it. But I don't yeah, know. We're gonna have to. For, see. I just honestly can't. I can't remember. So my my goal is actually to pop in a like at least the pilot episode of the TV show too. Just mm. just so I could touch on that briefly because I do have that first season on on a DVD and I do think they're like twenty minute episodes. So the first and only season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I've been meaning to grab that. It's always cheap, and I just never seem to grab it. I don't know why. Wouldn't mind checking it. I never watched it when it was on. So I I watched it when it when it aired. Yeah. So that, that should be a fun one, man. Tremors, French, another franchise show. Oh, all these semi big shows in a row. Yeah, like. we do big things. Speaking of big things, we were number yeah. two this this uh, last month on uh, Horophilia. Hmm. Yeah. So that wasn't bad, actually. Well, so actually, we- actually, we were number two and three, <laughs> silver and bronze. You know, <laughs> silver and bronze. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but we'll take that, man. I mean, the number one spot since uh, the skeleton skeleton crew's back. I mean, what are we gonna do? Yeah, well, what, what I mean, they, they've been around for such a long time, and they've constantly put out, like, quality stuff. Uh, I don't really feel bad to lose into them. No, um, no. But, you know, we we did beat Exploding Heads, which is really what matters. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I was really surprised by that, actually. I, yeah. I was surprised, man. Yeah, so. yeah. We, uh, we were second, third, and I think our – disturbing cinema show was like eighth or something which i was actually even surprised it made the top 10 you know i wasn't feeling like it was doing too well yeah i I was surprised it actually made in there too i thought for sure it was going to be like the first show since we joined horophilia that wasn't going to make a top 10 but you know i mean i'm sure it might happen eventually i don't know but that one right there just being a new show and people not really you know recognizing it and stuff so it makes sense but yeah i'm happy that was that was good man 
That's all our goal was to do is just to beat those exploding head assholes. Yep. <laughs> that's the whole goal here. Uh, that's literally <laughs> the only reason we still do the show is just to beat them. <laughs> you gotta have you have to have some type of motivation, concrete motivation. Yeah. You know, and that's what it is. This is this is our staple, man. So <laughs> Yeah. So uh you guys can also, you know, definitely check out horophilia.com. There's plenty of great shows on there, such as ours and such as uh the uh, exploding head skeleton crew. Yeah. Uh, and um you know, one that I really like now, and we ran a promo promo on this show for that show, is the ABCs of Hidden Horror. Well, mm-hmm. also featuring Dave Z, which is funny because Dave Z is in like four of the top ten How does that shows? guy do so many damn shows? <laughs> I know. It's like. Because he's in the Skeleton Crew. He's in. Uh, he was in our show that made the number two spot. He was in all the Exploding Heads and the ABCs of Hidden Horror. I think he also does evil episodes every once in a while. So. I mean, that guy gets around. Does get around, man. That guy must have a huge head. You know, his <laughs> ego is just inflated his head. It's like every every month that uh, Jason posts the top ten, he's just like, yep, yep, that's my show. That's my show. <laughs> <laughs> I can just see him just kind of looking at it going, yep, I'm number two through nine. Yep. <laughs> you know how sometimes when we talk to people and we're like, yeah, we're watching all the Children of the Corn films to do a show, like – He's like one of, and then like some people will be like, oh, I can never watch all those crap films. Like, it, yeah. it just I don't have the time for that. Like, he's one of the people that actually believe when they say that. Like, like I don't have the time to do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I kind of imagine that. But I like, think most people that. just, most people honestly just use that as an excuse though too. They're like, man, I don't got the time to watch nine Children of the Corn films, because meanwhile they're they're honestly thinking, I'm just don't want to do this shit, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, there's so many people out there that's just not going to do this. I mean, yeah. I mean how Which many people really, really put together these huge franchise the same shows? Time because it's like, I understand why a lot of people hate franchises. Like, franchises are generally looked at negatively because they usually drop off in quality. Like, there's very few perfect franchises, if any. <laughs> yeah, you know, honestly, I was... I was really doing some thinking about this a couple of days ago because, uh, you know, I had a minute I was watching TV and it was – I don't even know why I was – I wasn't even watching TV. I was watching sports highlights. Anyways, I was looking at the next week's Top 10 Tuesday video series I do on YouTube and it was – and it happens to be Top 10 uh, horror franchises. I thought you yeah, could have sworn would have done that one already. Yeah, it just – that's just the way it fell on the list because we, you know, obviously, you know, prefabricated this list a long time ago. But – um so and I, it got me thinking. I just started compiling a list and I just started laughing. I'm like, there there is some really really strong franchises, and then it gets towards the bottom. I mean, it, it still kind of was hard to make. But like, what, uh, what's a little preview? Like, what is like the number ten spot? Well, that's the thing. Like my last kind of couple ones that can make the list or might not make the list is. Uh, well, I know you're gonna laugh because I know this one would be on yours because I know you're a big fan. But uh, the Leprechaun franchise and the way I did the way I did my top ten is that you know I obviously my number one is my personal favorite, but I kind of ranked it like towards the middle to the end on you know not only the size of the franchise but how many films I actually do like in there. And it was kind of like hey, if I like four out of the eight, you know this is gonna go in that spot or whatever. Um, so Leprechaun and I believe Final Destination, which honestly Dude. I like. I really like four of the five films out of that franchise. (laughs) Yeah, and honestly, they're a lot better than most franchises. I actually seen an article on Bloody Disgusting yesterday that like posed the question: Is Final Destination the greatest horror franchise? Which obviously it's not, but I didn't even read the article. But I'm curious, like, what his argument is. 
Well, you know, the funny thing about the Final Destination franchise is simply the fact that it has a very high percentage of good films. And, you know, for me, and I know this is blasphemy to a lot of, you know, uh, horror fans out there. And this is most, this seems to be more likely everyone's favorite franchise. I mean, more people seem to kind of lean towards the Halloween franchise than the, than the other ones. Um, I would say the great, you know, the horror fans percentage is, you know, a little higher for Halloween. But anyways... For me personally, like I really only thoroughly enjoy excluding, you know, the, the like out of the original franchise, um, four out of the eight films, right? What, so, Halloween? yeah, out of the original franchise, you know, if we put in the other, like out of the, I like them all except for Resurrection. The ten films, yeah. See, like, yeah, I mean, like, I really kind of lean towards, like, so, but it, it, you know, it's still in there. But the four films that I absolutely like in the original franchise that I I love. I love like the first yeah, it's four obvious. films. It's one, two, eight, two, zero, and the remake. So basically, if I were to take ten films, I mean, theoretically, it's probably five and a half, maybe almost. Eight. I, I've really kind of grown to like Rob Zombie's Halloween too. I know a lot of people just shit on that film hardcore, but I think for yeah, us, have seen it so many damn times and analyzed the shit out of it so many yeah, times. All it's kind of grown on. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, I, I've just. I don't know. There's something about that film, but anyways, the point is, is the percentage factor. So theoretically, that's like 50 percent of the films I like. You know, if you're looking at percentages, um, you know, Friday the 13th is way up there. I like a lot of the films in that franchise, and then Final Destination four out of five is pretty. That's 80 percent. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it's not like Phantasm. Like you know, Phantasm and and Psycho are 100 percent for me. They're not though, because you have to include the Bates Motel uh, mini movie. Series. I like I liked oh the, what the series no, no the about. mini movie thing the I like the mini movie. movie I've never seen it so but oh, I, I hear people say it sucks oh no it does it's terrible <laughs> it's terrible but it's it's like it's just like oddity man it's but so it, strange if you also count the remake like that that is it, that really hurts the Psycho franchise like I think that the Phantasm oh, franchise is literally yeah. the only franchise that doesn't have a miss in its series so far Phantasm yeah. Yeah, I mean, I actually forgot about the remake for a minute for the cycle, but everybody the does because it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's garbage. I know it's almost it's like you so want to forget about it. <laughs> and, and you know, in part, I mean, I know we've talked about this many times in the past, but I'm I am so worried for Phantasm Five. I just don't want it to suck. It'll, <laughs> you know, it'll break the franchise. <laughs> well, it's gonna like disrupt this whole like percentage. You know, I mean, that sounds as silly as that sounds. It's kind of true. It's like for me right now, it's like the most solid one. You know, in percentage wise and. From myself, yeah, me too. It's probably but, it's probably the best one. If I'm ranking by best, Phantasm would be number one. But if I'm ranking by favorite, my favorite yeah. would be Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, I mean my and, favorite franchise. Everyone, it's not even it's not a mystery. It's Nightmare on Elm Street. But oddly enough, yeah. and it's, it has one. Oddly enough, the percentage probably isn't that good. Um. Well, no. The thing is, <clears throat> as much as I shit on part two, like I don't. It's not my favorite f- film. It's very, very low on my. If I were to rank the the franchise, I don't hate that film by any means. I just find it's very problematic, and I just have a hard time accepting some of the things that they did in that for a direct sequel to the original film. Yeah. So I always factor in that when I watch the film. But don't you like it less than like the Halloween films you put on the not like section when you did your Halloweens? Like you said, you liked four out of the eight or whatever. No. Well, the thing is, yeah, no, <laughs> no, because I really don't like, I mean, honestly, I know a lot of people love H2O. I'm not the biggest fan of it. I hate resurrection. I think part six is just uh, so problematic. I don't mind the film. It's not that great though. It's kind of on the same level for part two with me. And part five is kind of, it's almost like a mood film for me, but um, yeah, oddly enough, 
the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise has a film in it that I, I really do loathe. Kind of like Resurrection in a way. Not as much as I hate Resurrection, but Freddy's Dead, man. I can't stand that. So you film. just gloss right over the remake once again. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and the fucking remakes. Yeah. <laughs> See, this, this is what I do. I put those things in a portion of my brain, and it just stays there. It never wants uh-huh. to come out verbally. I just can't even, I can't even uh, you know, announce those things that they even exist. But yeah, um, I- but yeah I mean, I'm, a lot of the time I'm thinking original franchise and stuff. I've probably even thought about or forgot about the remake of uh, Friday the 13th for a minute, too. Is that um, this coming week, the Top 10 Tuesday, this Tuesday? It is actually, yeah. I might yeah, actually so, hop on board with that one because I've been wanting to get back into the top ten Tuesdays, and and yeah. this one would be fun for me because it, honestly, it wouldn't be that hard for me mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm just thinking of all the franchises right now. Like you got, you got like obviously ones that are not even close to making it, like Silent Night, Deadly Night, and yeah. um, but Howling. <laughs> oh my God, uh, Children but, of the Corn. I mean, there's uh, well, there's a- honestly like Children of the Corn would probably be like a top. 15 or 20 for me <laughs> See, there, there's a lot of franchises out there that people kind of forget that are like there's you know there's even the class of newcomb high franchise you know there's four films in there you know toxic avengers like i think people kind of <laughs> overlook because i did a quick i did a quick google i was like oh, i just want i'm curious to see people's top lists and stuff there wasn't really any lists but like the ones that i did find never mentioned those and stuff mm-hmm. i think they're just kind of overlooked as being franchises which i consider yeah, to be, you know, for example yeah, even Tremors. Exactly. You know, that's a perfect example of one that you never see on this. It's always like the big five or six, and then, and then it's just a free for all from there. So, yeah, very interesting. interested to see everybody's lists. I mean, yeah. I, I think that the top like you know five, six, seven uh, franchises are probably going to be relatively the same and sort of interchange between each other in most people's lists. But then I'm curious to see like what the other three or four is on the lists mm-hmm. um, sort of towards the bottom because uh, I, I think that obviously like you said that it was a cross between uh, the Final Destination franchise and uh, the Leprechaun franchise I believe yeah um, that's a that would be a tough little battle for me because like you said Final Destination has what how many how many films are there there's, there, there's five five yeah. Wow, we have Remember a typo we... on our episode listing because I have it listed one through six. <laughs> For final, really? Yeah, episode twenty-six, the Final Destination franchise, parentheses one dash six. <laughs> That's I never noticed. Nobody noticed awesome. apparently. <laughs> but you know, and, and you know, going back to Final Destination, it got me thinking while I was doing this list, and I was like, wow, the percentage is so high of good films. I'm like, frankly, really surprised that they haven't made another one. You know, considering they made oh, so many did, in a row. Listen, I don't know if you listened to Killer POV recently, but they had the producer of Final Destination on there. And he once did the uh, movie Crypt, which was one of my favorite episodes as well of the movie Crypt. Uh, basically, this guy, like, dude, this guy is so cool to listen to, hear him tell, like, like stories of Hollywood. Because, like, they really kind of put things in perspective. And he's been trying to get a Final Destination 6 off the ground for a long time. And there's even, like, shit written and, like like uh sort of um ideas he did say that they were going to continue the idea that they had in five where Mm -hmm. they uh i guess the idea that if you kill if you if you're one of the survivors and you kill one of your other survivors it like you know you're kind of controlling death Um, they sort of touched on it in part five but they didn't really go full in depth with it and apparently that's that's like the number one thing that they would explore in six 
which I say, let's fucking do it. <laughs> and that was one of the coolest things about the franchise because it was very kind of, uh, you know, it was by format. You know, by the end of part four, it was basically just remaking the same film over and over again with different kills. And then when they threw that into the twist, I thought that was a really good idea. Like, it's simple, but it was so effective. Yeah, yeah. It definitely so. just adds something new to, like, a formula that we're kind of used to. Yeah. And, um... I personally have a big love for those films uh, mm. minus part four. <laughs> I just have a big I have a fascination with them, too, because like it's really those films are simple, but it's about the kills. You know, some of the kills are just they're just off the hook and they're they're pretty inventful at times. And yeah, I mean, sometimes a little unrealistic, too. But I mean, honestly, the one I always think about the the highway crash in part two. That thing is crazy, man. That's fucking just that whole scene is just awesome. Really, really good stuff, but yeah, it's kind of like the you know nightmare or the Friday the Thirteenth series. Now how they just kept they kept making the films because they wanted to come up with different ideas to kill people. That's essentially what Final Destination yeah, and, was doing. You know, he goes in to talk a lot about the producer. I don't know his name. I'm sorry, but he goes to talk about like how they always try to really uh, when they think of they when they have these like death meetings where they're talking about like what what deaths can we bring into it. They always try to set them up in a place where you you can go in your everyday life like a tanning bed or you know they 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 want it to feel very like believable not like hey Mm. this guy's an astronaut you know what i mean yeah yeah. (laughs) they want want it relatable which was pretty it was really cool i highly recommend that episode of killer pov it was really good and uh whatever episode he was also on like a couple years ago on the movie crypt Mm -hmm. yeah sweet awesome stuff um well on that note should we get into the news yeah, let's do it. So right. first up here, we have a little bit of news. Um, we've been reporting this for a while, uh, but apparently it's official now, and that is that um, The Mist is coming to the little screen, the TV screen, that is. Uh, the Weinstein Company slash Dimension is uh, turning the uh, Stephen King novella into a TV show. So it's officially been greenlit, 10 one-hour episodes will go into production this summer and debut in 2017. Uh, Spike TV is actually going to be hosting the series on their network, which is pretty interesting because you got stuff like Bellator, MMA, and cops, like seven hours of the 24 hours a day. (laughs) So uh, adding a little (laughs) horror to their their channel. What do you think of that? I'm just like – I was like lost for words for a second. Like another – TV, like a horror related TV show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like this. It, it just seems like almost weekly they're getting announced. This is crazy. But I would have never thought The Mist would be turned into a TV show. Like that never even crossed my mind. But I really can't put anything past them right now. Like, this is crazy, dude. We should, we should actually take a, we should do a count of how many TV shows are on. Yeah. They're, it's insane. It, this is really crazy. It's becoming like a fad, you know, like the, with the amounts of them. Yeah, it's, it's pretty the crazy. Mist? Is, is the is uh is Under the Dome still on or did that get canceled? I have no idea to be honest. Like I I don't watch TV, so um I don't know. <laughs> I have huh. no idea actually if that one's still on, but wow. But you yeah. know, it doesn't it doesn't really surprise me when I come to think about it that, you know, they're you know, taking uh, Stephen King's novella and you know of the mist and turning it into a TV series because, frankly, he's no uh, you know stranger to TV. They've done this with a million of his of his uh, stories. So, 
Yeah. Why not just do another adaptation of Stephen King? So, well, I, I think yeah. The Mist actually kind of works a little well because you you look at it and essentially it's a post-apocalyptic film. And yeah. it you you know just replace zombies with creatures in the mist and and you have these long um this long format of people sort of um stuck in this in essentially a like store. a grocery store I'm sure they'll go out and be in different areas and shit too but um yeah I mean you could kind of take take this entire long form because it's a lot of character development to begin with where you just have these people kind of surviving together. So it kind of sounds like they're just going to make like one season out of this thing. They're just going to do a a one and done type deal. No, it's a TV series. Like a t- like really, they're just going to keep. Wow, it's crazy. I mean, if season kinda, one does bad, then they'll cancel it. But it, it's kind of it, it'd be kind of cool if they ended the whole series like the way the movie ended. Yeah, <laughs> because it would be shocking. I'd be like, wow, they regular act, TV. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that would be, that, that'd be pretty crazy. I think it'd be, I think it'd be more shocking than the actual visual of what you're seeing. You know, it's like, wow, they, they didn't hold back on that. That's awesome. <laughs> Good All right. So uh, next up here, we got some interesting news. The uh, now, that's right, I said now, franchise, that's right, I said franchise of Insidious. And wow. what do we know about franchises that once they hit, well, they're yeah, trilogies, but then once they hit four. four, they become a franchise. So uh, Insidious Chapter 4 has been announced, and that is really, really cool in my opinion because I was not tired with Insidious, and the third film actually did surprise me because I didn't expect to even like it. And uh, I gave it like a solid 7 out of 10. And I still, I still haven't seen it, man. Yeah, it's it's honestly like sort of almost like a spin-off-y type thing where it's just like mm-hmm. now they're just becoming like cool story. Like it was still tied into the original film, but it, it almost feels like these are ch- ex- chapters. Like literally like it's a good way of calling it chapter whatever, chapter yeah. four, because it, they do feel like these little one-off stories now. And I'm down with that. Like it, it's pretty cool actually. Uh, they can keep them rolling because they're well-made. They're good little creepy horror movies. Uh, as long as they don't um, diminish in quality too much and you just kind of hover it. Because the, the the drop-off of uh, quality was a little bit there in Chapter 3 because you yeah. know, obviously James Wan wasn't directly attached as yeah, the director yeah. anymore. But uh, it was still a very effective little uh, horror story and I was down with it. So I'm down with the fourth one. Let's keep doing them. Uh, they're not boring to me. They're you know, if they keep – if they keep kind of, you know, having them somewhat related to like, you know, the original story, it's, you know, like you said, it's just a, it's just a, a branch off. It's just a, another chapter of, you know, something related to the first film. I think that's the way to go with these. I think, you know, in, in franchises like the Amityville Horror, and it, it just, it's just lost all its, all the films have just lost their credibility because they're Amityville films in name only, right? So I think. As a fan, like I love to see some type of of relatable material to like original material, you know. Yep. And I think that's what really does make it work. And if they continue along this line, man, like I mean, I remember when Insidious Two first came out. I said, "Wow, I think this might be another franchise." I think we even talked about it on the show. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we brought it up, and I said, "Yeah, I think this is going to turn into a franchise." And here we are, a couple years later, going talking about the Insidious franchise. That's pretty interesting, but. That's cool, man. I think uh, to keep it intriguing for myself anyways, I love that kind of, you know, always little hints and little specks of uh, source material and stuff well, like well, that. Well, don't so. get me wrong. The third film has like a 
a, a, like it's very connected to the first two. It's yeah, just yeah. Yeah. There's, they're not the same. It's not following the same family still. It doesn't um, have to as long as there is something that's relatable that yeah. keeps me intrigued. Like if like they can Lin just Shea, always kind of perhaps? put a spin. Yeah, if they take one of the characters and they kind of spin off from there. But it, it somehow relates back and like, oh, that's really cool how that kind of relates. You know, shit like that. See, that's what makes it intriguing to me. When you watch the Amityville films, you're just like, <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Every sequel is just an abomination. <laughs> it's just horrible. They're just horrible. Yeah. So. So yeah. uh, in Cities Chapter 4, it looks like it's happening. I mean, the third film made $100 million worldwide, which apparently is really big for a third film. Uh, so, you know, I mean, wow. why the hell not? This, this, is, this, is a, this is a nice little franchise. Like, I like all three of them. Mm -hmm. So, And I really like the first one. This is, like, one of my favorite films of the last, like, five, ten years. Yeah, I know Part 2 was kind of ruined for you a little bit, but I – because remember when I, I – you know, there was so much hype and everything, and I was like, ah. So I didn't, I didn't check it out at first because I didn't want anything to kind of ruin it for me. I finally got around to watching it one night, and uh, I love Part Two, man. I thought it was great. I was like really drawn in by it, man. It was, I know a lot of people didn't really care for it. It's, it's kind of one of those films that's very split between people, and uh, I was like right on the yes, this was awesome side of that. I, it really surprised me. I wasn't expecting to like it that much, but all right. So after that, we got a little update on the Predator remake, or I guess it's a sequel, kind of. I don't know. They're just calling it the Predator, which is annoying to me. It's like the Final Destination. It's so stupid. I hate when they do that. Just call it like Predator Three or something. Like, because right, well, you look at the Predator franchise, you have Predator, Predator Two. Alien versus Predator, Alien versus Predator Two, Predators, and now the Predator. Yeah, it's super lame. Super lame. I'm I'm a big fan of attaching numbers to sequels because it's it's just a, it's a definite thing. Yeah. Oh, it's it's uh you know Nightmare on Elm Street Part Four. Okay. And the <laughs> you know, worst like... thing about numbers and sequels is they always seem to take them off the more sequels that they make, which is so stupid because the more sequels there are, the more reason there is to number them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> That's so stupid, man. Yeah. Um, I, I, I hated that, man. You know, that whole, uh, I mean, not, not only is, you know, the final destination, you know, part four, the worst one in the franchise, but it's got the stupidest name, like the final destination. I remember when that came out where I was like, yeah, I doubt this is going to be the final destination. Just say final destination four. get over yourselves. Fuck. You know what? I think what speaking back to that interview, I'm pretty sure that he said that they knew they had sort of a bad movie. So they figured like the way to sort of, uh, try to sell it bigger is to call it the final destination. <laughs> I'm but it's pretty not, sure that's what he said. But it, it's so lame in itself because it's not like it hasn't been done before. You know, it's like Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter. It's basically saying the same thing, mm -hmm. right? And then, I mean, come on. I mean, you, you can't stop making Friday films, just like you can't stop technically making Final Destination films. But I don't know. That that sucks, man. That he actually admitted that he knew that they had a shitty film. That movie is oh, it's so bad. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> so bad. <laughs> So the director, Shane Black, was recently interviewed by Collider, uh, and he really just – it's kind of almost like a non-news news thing that they that Bloody Disgusting reported from Collider. Uh, and they said that 
well, he said that about Arnold Schwarzenegger's possible return. Basically, he just said that he can't talk about like anything, and then he the only thing he does really reveal is that it will be set in present day. Huh. I would like to know if uh, if Arnie's going to be attached to this like more than a cameo or starring. <laughs> I just, I in, in a way, I just don't see why, like, why he wouldn't start in it. Because it's like, yeah. it seems so obvious. It's like, you already did, like, a turn. Like, you're obviously, like, fully back to acting. Like, he was mainly in, like, he was the, a main person in Terminator, the new Terminator. Mm. So it's like, why wouldn't he be, do- like, what else is he going to do? I know. I, I guess it all depends on how they write this and, I guess, what Arnie's up to or whatever. But I don't know, man. I would like to see him starring and not just have, like, a cameo. I hate when they, like, kind of you know okay you go on record saying uh this is what this is but we can't really talk about this we can't really give you any information but uh here it is <laughs> it's like come on come on yeah i just want to know if i mean then i'll get my excitement up you know even though i don't get excited but seeing arnie starting in a film though is just always kind of fun so yeah i, that's I a just, predator film man that'd be cool yeah i i i would like that so after that we finally finally have concrete i guess confirmation that tells from the crypt is a go so it's literally been greenlit now uh it's happening wow and is it still gonna have they announced the official format of the show um well, remember that was still kind of all speculation that they were kind of leaning towards oh maybe it might be an anthology type show or it might be a American horror story type style one story for a whole season type thing yeah I'm not really sure uh, I didn't really look too far into it but uh, apparently uh, it will be 10 episodes and you know that that's I think that's a decent amount of episodes like obviously the first season of the original tales from the crypt is uh what it was like ten, six episodes yeah it, i mean that was crazy that was like 22 to 24 episodes yeah cuz that was you know hbo's kind of first show back in like the late 80s and you know the, that was really just a pilot ep- uh, pilot season right see if that'll take off and stuff cuz you know HBO operates. They put a lot of money into shit, and then sometimes they can't finish their series. So, <laughs> but yeah, six episodes, man. So, uh, yeah. So uh, this is actually going to be part of a horror block uh, that TNT is doing, and the first show is obviously Tales from the Crypt, but they also uh, greenlit a pilot for Time of Death. Which is supposedly a anthology season-long series from uh, Global Television for the Block. The network has also put in development another project earmarked for the horror franchise Creatures. Uh, wow! Yeah, so it just it just never ends. Yeah, so it, they're they're looking to really jump on the horror bandwagon and and do like a big <laughs> a big thing. <laughs> no doubt, man. Oh, I can't even keep up with this man. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty interested in how this goes. Uh Time of Death is an anthology of uh, uh an uh, a season long anthology, so I guess that's more like American horror story style. Yeah, yeah. Uh that tells so. uh that horror tales that unfold uh in real time, each one taking viewers hour by hour through a single long night of hell. 
The first season will follow a murderous psychopath who returns to his Midwestern hometown during an annual county fair to exact revenge on the community he believes that destroyed his life. Described as Friday the 13th meets Friday Night Lights, the first season of Time of Death pays tribute to the great slasher (laughs) films of the 1980s with future seasons inspired by traditions of other horror subgenres. So he's like attacking like a football team because they did him wrong? No, I think Friday, I think when you Friday say Night Friday Lights? Night Lights, more about like the just the small um, town kind of yeah town, yeah the, the small town setting. Yeah, I just immediately thought like, oh yeah, he he got uh, shunned off the football team or some shit, <laughs> and he came back to exact their, his revenge. <laughs> That's fucking awesome, man! I just actually really enjoyed Friday Night Lights. I watched that TV series. I think like, that that actually sounds pretty good, honestly. Yeah. And, that does, uh, actually actually does sound pretty good to be honest. But. Yeah, yeah, like a like one one season like it's like a season long slasher. Like it could be what Scream should have been. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say that. Like, hopefully, it's a little better than the the season long slasher of Scream. Ugh. <laughs> uh, and creatures now in development is a sophisticated psychological thriller that tells the disturbing tale of two former best friends who, at 12 years old, tried to cut out their classmate's heart as a sacrifice to an internet boogeyman they invented called Mr. Gorgie. Fifteen years later, the two young women have been released from Psychiatric Institute into their small town in Alaska, but it's not long before they start to feel a luring and terrifying presence Ooh. of Mr. Gorgie once again. Creatures is a story of deep friendship, dark obsession, where vivid imagination meets the power of suggestion, seduction of belief. Dude, this fucking TNT block sounds sick, yo. <laughs> so where did Mr. Gorgie go? I just had to say Mr. Gorgie. Where did Mr. Gorgie go when the two girls went to the institution? Uh, you know, <laughs> he just, probably he just, just appears back into the internet for a little while. He, he just kind of chilled out. Just watched, he was just chilled out at some internet porn sites. I don't but, know about I, you, dude, but this shit sounds like this horror block thing sounds pretty cool. Yeah, that that sounds like I you know honestly as soon as you said set in Alaska I was like wow, you know, first thing as I thought of was As soon as I read that, I thought awesome. Blood on snow and just, you know, even though it seems like it's more technological anyways, I mean if it's computer based or something, but um but still sounds cool, Mr. Gorgie. <laughs> well, I think that maybe it could be like a Slenderman type thing where like yeah, it's an internet um story, it's like internet story based, but like it's kind of it- it probably gets a little like supernatural, like in a, almost like a physical supernatural. I bet. Yeah, I bet. But, you, I bet you it escapes the technological aspect of it. That's that's the starting point. Of I it. feel it's like it's not even going to really follow that technological area. But honestly, honestly, I'm super curious to find out a little bit more about Mister Gorgie. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like it, I feel like it's like one of those. Uh, I love the pasta type things. <laughs> Creepy pot, yeah. Where, yeah. Do you know what that is? Creepypasta? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about those a couple times. Yeah, the they're show. just like stories like on the internet. Um, yeah. But yeah, so maybe it's something like that. Uh, Actually, so that this sounds pretty cool. Sense. Like you have Tales from the Crypt. You have Time of Death, which sounds pretty cool. Like it's like a slasher anthology thing. And and I like the idea that they said, uh, it. you know, the Time of Death pays tribute to great slasher films in the 1980s with future seasons inspired by other traditions of horror subgenres which i, I thought not, is all cool. so cool. i'm honestly not a hundred percent sold on the name time of death of it, a time like a is it a time of death or just no, time time of death? of death time of death 
it sounds super, super generic. Like that's something I would see scrolling through the TV. Like, you know, yeah, it's not like, I'd be like, Ooh, that's not going to grab me at all. It doesn't really let you know anything about the, like that could literally be anything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It could be a fucking CSI show for all we know. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) you know, it's like, 1245 or like a hospital based type show like ER time of death, you know, fucking 1213, you know, but yeah, that, that that name isn't very, it's not very clutching. It doesn't really clutch me, but, but you know, this sounds really cool, man. Like, you know, watching those back to back, if they were good, that's a good night. Yeah. You got tells from the crypt, time of death and creatures, which creatures doesn't really sound like what it is either <laughs> yeah i mean that could go anyway i mean those type of setups are always intriguing to me because I'll you watch, never really I'll know watch all, if they all three air like at the same time you know on this like uh hour block or, two hour is, block or whatever this is crazy man like we're just talking about how many you know there's a horror show being announced every week and now there's so many that they're making whole blocks out of them mm-hmm. and, like the network is just they're they're taking a whole time slot between like 8 and 11 at night and just all horror this is fucking crazy, man. Yeah, that's fucking <laughs> cool, though. <laughs> so, it's, it's so crazy, man. It's so um, crazy. I'm actually excited. I'm looking forward to 2017 with that. Our, our today's kids might actually grow up to be semi-cool. Yeah. <laughs> you have to keep watching this shit. <laughs> um, so after that, we have the... It's already been announced, but now we have an official like day that it's airing. And it is May 30th. Uh, Scream, the uh, season two. May 30th. Wow, that's quick. Yeah, that's really quick. Me and Moods were talking a little bit before the show how I thought that it was – I was like, yo, when did Scream air the first season? And um, we didn't know for sure, but we felt around like December-ish. And I was like, you know what, dude? Like that feels like crazy short because normally a TV show in 2016, 15, 2016, they air one year apart. So you have like season one in July of 2015. You have season two in July, maybe uh, August of 2016. So it it's odd that they're back so quick. But I'm I'm actually curious to see what they do with season two because from what I understand, season one kind of wraps up. You know, it got, it got me thinking just a tiny bit about, you know, the, uh, you know, putting them out so quick. I think it's probably due to the fact there's, that there's just so much competition now. I think if you're waiting, you know, that whole year period, you know, um, it's almost like it's forgettable. <clears throat> you know, it's kind of like the music industry. Like a lot of, you drop a hot album, you want to get like a new single out like right away. You want to kind of keep in touch with the people and stuff. I think with the amount of shows now, like you could just as easily go to, uh, you know, the next show. Right. And just kind of forget about it. So I think they're trying to pump them out even faster. And unless it's an MTV thing where because I do know like, there's one show that I do watch on MTV that I've been watching since I was a kid. It's the challenge. It's like where they take the real world contestants and have them do like like a survivor game show type thing. Yeah. Yeah. And they do two of those a year. Uh-huh. Um, so maybe I just don't know about MTV enough, but maybe that's their MO. Like that's I don't know. Always I do. I, I just think it's direct competition. I think that there's so much genre stuff coming out right now, and they just have to compete. You just got to stay fresh in people's minds. I mean, I mean, really, I mean, if it was like a year, year and a half later, I mean, how many shows are coming out in that time period? I mean, we've just announced an, how many more? Like four, three? Mm. You know? I mean, it, there's always the next and up-and-coming thing that people are going to be interested in. If you wait too long, you just kind of miss the boat. All right, you know? I got I got a third option that it could be. Mm. Um 
Okay, so I feel like maybe that, let's say that, well, first I feel like I need to know when the first Scream season came out, so I'm going to quickly Google that because that's absolutely relevant to even our, our speculation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause I it, could be wrong because I believe I watched it in December, but I think it was one of those things okay, I actually so, watched. It no, we're actually it. really dumb. <clears throat> our whole arguments are stupid. It came out came out in July, uh, June of 15, I think. Is that when it – But oh, when it aired on TV. See, I keep thinking it's a Netflix and original show because I watched it when it came on Netflix and right away. Yeah, so our complete argument was completely 100% pointless. <laughs> um, so, well, if, not really. I mean, if it's coming out like within a year, well, I guess, yeah, whatever. It's it's essentially a year later. Yeah, so. <laughs> okay. Um, it's it's one month earlier. Well, just put it this way. Just put it this way. I think more people probably watched it when it when it's uh, premiered on Netflix than when it was actually airing. Who knows? I, I don't even know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I actually don't know anything about it, Netflix numbers, but I do remember that it did pretty well. I think I just it did like I, two million on MTV, I think, or something. Mark yeah, I think it serves me right. Actually, I remember that actually the first few episodes, and then I think we talked about it, and then they started to dip quite a bit, though. No, but I, think I think they dipped. No, they dipped first. Like the pot, the premiere was not good, and then it picked up. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I think the way today's society is people are so into binge watching. They're just like, well, I watched a couple episodes here and there. Because when you watch like the first three or four and then stop. Watch four. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, and I was like, well, you know, if I'm going to watch it, I'm just going to watch it on Netflix. And I just been binge watched it. And I mean, that's kind of the consensus with today's uh, the way people watch TV shows. It is. So it probably did pretty well on Netflix, I'm assuming, because. I don't know when it got on there. It seemed like more people were kind of talking about it and kind of updating and things like that. So, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Who really knows? Um, I actually was blown away when it premiered, though, because everybody was talking about it when it premiered. Yeah, I was like, wow, like, am I like the only one who don't like this? Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, after that, we have uh, Jeepers Creepers 3. Uh, The producer, actually. So this is uh, I forget what our bet was, but uh, it's, you know, kind of a. in favor of me once again. Uh, somebody on Twitter said, is it true that Jeepers Creepers 3 is still really happening? I know a lot has been going on. I was afraid it was really canceled. It is not canceled, says the producer. Uh, producers are working on domestic distribution deal. So, deal. A domestic di- distribution deal. Hmm. So it's not canceled yet. <clears throat> huh. So that means that if it's domestic, that means U.S. So, like, are we? They're working on the distribution before they even film this thing. It's usually how it works. Hmm. It's interesting. I wonder who's going to uh, pick that up. It's very, very um, interesting because considering they've already ran into so many problems in production-wise, you know, that's got to hinder these people. They got to look at this. Go well. It's the shit even going to get fucking made. Yeah, I don't. Who know. knows? Who knows? It's very strange. I mean, this is this is the type of situation that's very strange. I think I would probably want to see a little bit of the film, you know, at least get something done, you know, film-wise before, you know, if I was a distributor, I'd be like, well, okay, it is actually happening. It looks decent. Uh, maybe I'll put some money towards this. And I don't know. It's just an oddball situation because there's so much that comes with it. So mm-hmm. very interesting situation. But, I mean, it's still open. I mean, you said it was going to get made by the end of 2017. Yeah. Yes. So by December 2017, if it is made, you win the bet. And if it's not, then I yeah. Guess so. And by but, made, 
it doesn't have to be released technically. Oh, if there's now, a trailer, if there's a trailer, it's made. Damn it! <laughs> Not necessarily, man. Because I mean, how many trailers get made and then none? What? Like what? I don't know, man. I've seen trailers. Oh, fuck. I don't know, man. I mean, you could go and film and make a trailer and then not even use like any of the footage that's in the trailer. I mean, how many trailers have you seen before where you go and then you watch the film? You go, what the fuck? That wasn't in the movie. Yeah, I like <laughs> that, should, though. I, they, I, I, they, they should do that more often. Trailers. Yeah. I mean, honestly, sometimes it does work better because then you're not actually seeing footage that's in the film. Yeah. But at the same time, it is ultra misleading, too. You're like, fuck, man, that was super cool. Why wasn't that in the film? <laughs> well, they had to amp up the, uh, you know, the trailer to sell this shit, man, to the distributors. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it goes both ways. I mean, I see the point from both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. Here. Well, from somebody who doesn't watch trailers, I don't yeah. care either way anymore. Well, not new trailers yet. <laughs> Exactly. But it's funny when you watch like older trailers and you're like, I don't remember that shit from that movie, man. <laughs> it totally wasn't there, there's one, I believe one of the trailers for uh, Freddy's uh, or N- New Nightmare had a scene where there was like 50 Freddy's like running across the street and it was never in the movie. I always <laughs> wondered what the hell that was. <laughs> what? Yeah, there was like, there was like, it was like a dream like and like there was a bunch of Freddy's. I wonder if it was like some random dream sequence in the film or something. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's that the footage even really... is online, I think. I think you can find huh. it. I remember that... seeing seeing that though. Weird. It Weird. might not have been like fifty Freddies, but there, there I remember like multiple Freddies. Weird. Um. So after that, we have a little uh, announcement for Clown. It's finally getting a U.S. release. Uh, it will be hitting limited theatrically June seventeenth. As well as on demand with uh, Stars Digital, so man, I would probably I was really reading, shortly after that. Had someone had made a post about this, they're like, "Oh, what the fuck, Clown's finally getting a release over here," and they're like, "Why are they putting it out theor- theor- uh, theatrically?" And I'm like, "Why not? It's 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 our region, you know." So it got released over there on limited Blu-ray before. Maybe some people want to go and see it theatrically just because yeah, it has a release already. It doesn't mean it shouldn't be released. People are like tripping balls like that's so fucking stupid. I'm like, is this really affecting your life that much that you have to make a post about it? I'm like, I really don't give a shit. Who cares? The movie's been out for a couple of years. Big fucking deal, man. Yeah, I don't see what the. I know. I was like, I what, couldn't believe like, it. Why would, it, why would you ever complain when anything gets released theatrically? <laughs> I know. I'm like, yeah. The, if they I, release I just, like. I didn't understand. If they release like Insidious three, like again theatrically. Like I'm gonna be like, oh, more people get to check out Insidious three in the theater. Cool. <laughs> I know it's really no different. Okay, so this is a modern film. It came out a couple years ago in Region two, and now it's making its way over here theatrically and releasing. Blah blah blah. Okay, that's cool. What's the difference if the movie is two years old or thirty? We still get films that get re released in theater all the time. Yeah, you know, I, it's like, oh, you're, they're, 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 there's a Halloween showing. Ugh, that's fucking stupid. That movie came out in 1978. That's the same argument. Yeah, people are so stupid. I hate reading this shit. I'm like, what? You're just making a post to complain on Facebook, and just because you want people to comment back, like, thumbs up my video or my what the fuck? I, I just didn't understand the point of it. Ugh, yeah, just irritates. Uh, me. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. So after that, we have an announcement of Jaws uh, 2, 3, and 4 hitting Blu-ray. Uh, they do have special features. One of the cool things is Jaws 3 is in 3D, um, which I think is fucking awesome. Uh, because for one, Jaws 3 looks like shit anyway uh, mm-hmm. when you watch it. So at least if you watch it in 3D, it probably will look better than it does in 2D. 
and well, because the the problem with the two D is that it still has like the the remnants of the three D in it. Yeah, they <laughs> never kinda... they never did like two versions. They just yeah, they didn't. So it it always kind of looks funny when you're watching it. So yeah, I think the ultimate way to watch Jaws three D is in three D, which is like red and blue glasses. I'm assuming. That's no, you... I think that it's not, but I hope that it is. If it's red and blue gra- glasses, I'll I'll seriously buy it. Yeah. If it's well, like the real 3D that like Friday the 13th uh, 3D, I think I'm just did that one. Or... Yeah, I'm not really too sure how the 3D that technology was, uh... works from like older films. You know, like obviously the newer ones, you, they do in like real, real 3D and stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I guess they can. But you know, it be it would be cool if it wasn't like the red and blue though. <laughs> just yeah. Because, well, like, I I, I think they can. Like my, like I'm pretty sure like they have been doing like some of the older films in that new style. Um, I don't know if they have to do like a completely different thing for them or what, but uh, like I'm pretty sure, like fan, what was it like Phantom of the Opera or something or uh, yeah, I creature, guess so. No, creature from the Black Lagoon. That I guess so. Yeah, totally. Because you know, I was just thinking back to House of Wax, and you know that Blu-ray right there is, um, you know, it's the meant for three D TVs and stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, if this is meant for it, that that's kind of, that sucks for me because I don't have a three D TV. Yeah, I'm I not know. really a big fan of three D, so like you should. But be. I, it's awesome. But honestly, man, I've seen oh I don't know, probably half a dozen films in the theater in three D, and every time I leave that theater, going, why did I fucking do that, man? I'm I'm always uncomfortable. I'm always adjusting my glasses. I'm getting headaches, and yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I'm like I'm just I'm always fidgeting with something. I'm just like having annoyance all around me, and. I feel yeah, like it's I, always taken away from the actual film. And like, I swear every time I've watched a film, I haven't really enjoyed it. And it's probably due to the fact that the film wasn't, you know, it could have been a good film. I just, I was having issues watching it. So I think a I, lot of people get distracted by the 3d and like, can't really get into the movie. I, I understand the headache thing because it can happen to me, but it's usually if I'm not feeling good already, uh, I think that that's a very interesting thing that some people get headaches from it because I, I know that some people get headaches from found footage films and Mm. I always just feel like y'all are watching them differently or y'all just like kind of have something like, like it's like a distraction, which is giving you a headache or something. Like, I don't, I don't know the science behind it, but I think there's probably a way to watch it where you don't get a headache. Well, I I don't know, man. I think, I think it just depends on the person, man, because like, you know, I've went, I went to the cinema and seen 3d films. Perfect example was, um, uh, the uh, the James Cameron film. Um, <laughs> it's like totally slipping my mind right now. Uh, what's it fucking called? <laughs> Shit, I can't remember. Avatar. Avatar. Jesus, man, like totally slipped my mind. Um, but I mean, I you know the movie is long. It's like three hours long. But there was four of us that went. It was me and the wife, and actually went. My, I went with my parents, and my dad really wanted to see it. And uh, you know, it's funny. Three of us out of the four got like severe headaches watching <laughs> that film. You know, and, you know, and I've talked to other people, too, and I'm like, well, maybe it was the length of the film and it was just, you know, too much strain on the eyes. There probably is a certain way of watching it, but I mean, it's pretty hard not to focus on shit that's coming in at you and stuff. So I think it's more of just the way you do watch it, probably. Because like, I, I, I did read somewhere that like a lot of times it. people go cross-eyed. Mm, I like, don't have that. No, it's that doesn't happen to me. And it's funny because found footage films don't really give me headaches either. Like, yeah, I mean, but I feel like the people that they do give headaches to are like they're watching it in a way where the like the movement is actually like fucking with their like 
their eyes too much and it's giving them like a headache. Like, yeah. I don't know. I just kind of. Maybe because they're following it too much. You know, like, if yeah, you're yeah, that's what I'm camps, saying. Like their eyes are like following fo- the camera too much where yeah, I'm just kind of looking at it as like a, from like a, like, you know, it, it's basically sit, like almost the same effect as if you sit too close to the TV screen, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's. I mean, there's a certain way of watching lots of different films. It's like watching a subtitle film. There's a certain way of reading the subtitles and still watching the screen. Yeah, you like just have skills. Yeah, you just have to kind of figure it out. And I know some people that you know they've openly admitted they don't watch subtitle films because they find themselves reading the subtitles and they miss everything on the screen. And I'm like, well, there is a certain way of doing this, mm-hmm. and you know that could be partially reason. They're like, yeah, I'm always getting frustrated. I'm getting headaches. I'm going back and forth. I'm losing my eyes and stuff. And that's probably what happens with with found footage. I mean, the only film. I think that was kind of a little rough on me when I first watched it. And I think it was because I might have not been feeling good when I first watched it, but it was Cloverfield when I first watched that film. I was already kind of in a weird state and um, it was kind of rough on me because <laughs> that one's really, really fucking shaky cam. But I mean, I seen the Blair Witch in, in the theater at the cinema and it didn't bother me one bit. Yeah. You know, and See, that was one of the very first experiences I've ever seen with a found footage film I mean, of that kind. I mean, obviously I didn't see cannibal Holocaust or any of that type of things, but uh, it didn't bother me. I don't get bothered in the slightest, but back on the 3d thing, I do think that that new style of 3d have, I had a 3d TV. I would really enjoy it um, because I don't like 3d when it's all popular and everything's 3d because it annoys me Yeah, uh, just cause like, so, it's so much of a fad. But I do well, it's like because they're when, putting the wrong films into 3D. Like they're putting like you know it's like some random comedy, and you're like, why is this in 3D? <laughs> not just, only that, but it's just like for some reason when something's new and it's in 3D, I instantly think that like it's going to be like a lesser film, or it's going to be like cheesy, or they're going to focus too much on 3D and not on like the story. They're going to be purposely writing things for 3D, which they do, yeah. but. You know, so so that kind of I don't like that, but in like retroactively after the film's already out and it's done, I can somehow enjoy that aspect of it more than when they're making it fresh for that reason. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a weird concept, but it, it's how I usually feel. And I've kind of embraced 3D over the years. I used to hate it, but like I think it's pretty cool, honestly. Like I seen Chainsaw in 3D; it was fun. The new 3D doesn't even come close to giving me a headache, dude. It's the red and green is what what can do it to me but that new new style oh, yeah. with the clear glasses yeah i could watch shit like that all day probably yeah i don't i don't know man it's funny because when i first see a film get announced it's like oh it's in 3d the first thing i think of is i hope we get it in 2d also it's <laughs> <laughs> like always the first thing i say all right so uh blue underground uh, a while back they did their little three blu-ray sets where they had um the falchi collection and the uh, argento collection uh, which I actually picked up both of them because I didn't own any of those separate. And I, I actually really like those sets because they're, I know people like you moods really like the single releases. You don't like like multi packs. I used to be like that, but as my space has become more limited, I actually prefer the multi packs. Uh, some of them are done better than others. Some, you know, everything's crammed on one disc. Other times like there's individual discs with individual art for each title and yep. other times, you know, it could be done even worse or even better. But uh, these Blue Underground sets I actually really like because they they are, you know, a nice case and the discs aren't like stacked on top of each other and they're all individual discs with, with individual art. And so I think this, you know, I think with those, the Argento and the Falchi was sort of a test run 
with their collections from Blue Underground. These are all previously released Blue Underground films. Yeah. So now I think that we could probably see a lot of Blue Underground's titles get released like this. Bet me they don't do like a slasher collection next. So this one is the Killer Thrillers collection and it features uh, Baba Yaga, Night Train Murders, and Strip Nude for Your Killer. Yeah. So uh, it's designed the same way. It has the three posters at the bottom and it has the uh, like sort of a picture at the top. And uh, they actually – so that I'm assuming that the discs are all individual because they do have all the extras that was on the uh, original Blue Underground releases. So uh, mm-hmm. that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I know they tested the waters with uh, – see how those three packs would sell when they started re-releasing all the films on – remember the DVD three packs? That they came out with there yeah, was like the midnight. They, I think they call them like midnight whatever releases, but they they released probably like ten or twelve of those, and they were really cheap. It was a you know for the people that didn't have the films, it was a really cheap way of gathering up you know a good part of their collection because they were cheap, man. Like those things were selling like twelve bucks or three movies. That's insane. Um, so that tested the waters, and now they're putting out these Blu-rays, which is cool. But uh, I'm a huge, huge fan, as everyone knows, of Blue Underground releases. I pretty much have the entire catalog. Um, but I have not grabbed the Blu-rays because I'm just no, I'm, I I don't need to upgrade, you know, Baba Yaga and you know, Strip Mood for Your Killer and stuff, and you know, I, I'm happy with the DVDs. But for someone that doesn't have them, these are probably great. What's the value on that? Uh, I'm assuming it'll probably come in at about uh, twenty-three dollars at first. The list price is uh, twenty or thirty-nine ninety-eight, which we yeah. all know is not going to stay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. It, once it becomes you know release, it'll go down. You'll probably be able to get it for about twenty, and that that to me this is valuable. You said that's good. Yeah, I don't have very many blue undergrounds, and I'm actually just starting my blue underground collection, essentially, yeah. because I don't know how many I owned beforehand. But now, just in the past couple months, you know maybe a year, I got the Falchi and Argento collection. So that's six blue underground films right there i just picked up uncle sam and the stendhal syndrome uh Mm -hmm. and then i ordered today i was telling moods earlier dead and buried and living dead at manchester morgue yeah and now i'll probably grab this one too because uh it's it's great for like you said people who don't already own these films which i didn't own really any but now i'm starting to wonder if i should slow down on grabbing these individual releases because if they're going to keep doing these like sort of triple packs Mm-hmm. that might be the way to go because like so couldn't you see them doing like a slasher version or like a uh I, they have such a big library um I, I i can't i can see them do that because with the uh i think the midnight three packs that they're releasing they were kind of theming them out a little bit i i know that some of them were like spaghetti western ones and then there was uh not really creature features but you know italian base they kind of had some type of theme to the three packs so um they don't really have a lot of slasher films, to be honest, in their in their catalog. Uh, thinking back, I mean, there's like there's a lot of sleaze and stuff, and uh, yeah, I mean, they have a quite a wide range of of films. That's what I love about Blue Underground, man. They they do really kind of dig in there, but uh, yeah, I mean, these things are obviously selling for them. Obviously, see, I didn't think they really were though. Like that's what I was like wondering. They must have, obviously. Well, I'm but, just, like, I'm just I assume- didn't see anybody pick up those uh, Argento collections and Falchi collections, really. Oh, the Blu-ray ones. Yeah, I was talking about. See, I, that's why I thought that they were selling the DVD ones quite well, was because they they started with the DVDs and then went to the Blu-ray collections. But um, I, I seen quite a few people pick up the uh, 
the Argento and Fulci ones. The problem is with those collections for a lot of collectors is that they probably already had previous Blu-rays of some of the titles. So they just were like, well, I'm missing the, this one. Is it worth grabbing the whole collection just for one film kind of deal? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. No idea. So, yeah, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I have not seen any of those three films, so I would probably pick up that set. The Baba Yaga is such a strange film. Strip New Fear Killer is a, <laughs> is a really, really sleazy giallo. It's awesome. There's so much nudity in that one. What's the other film? Oh, uh, Nitrate Murders is on there. Yep, and Strip Nude for Your Killer. It's Strip Nude, yeah. That one is it's such a great giallo. It's so sleazy, but uh, Nitrate Murders, I love that film. That's a, that's a good three-pack. Baby Yaga is definitely not for everybody. It's a really, really strange film. It's a strange, slow, weird film. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that one. So after that, we have Fear the Walking Dead renewed for a third season, which I don't even think the second season's out yet. So I, wow, once again, Walking Dead is like crushing it. The spinoff series is renewed for three, the third season. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not really going to comment on that too much. Uh, and then we have uh, 88 Films. I, I just thought I'd throw this in there. They announced that they're releasing uh, Body Puzzle, which is a 1992 Lumberto Bava-directed film in their Italian collection. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of a surprise, man. You know, I really like 88 Films, but, you know, sometimes they release stuff that has been recently released. You know, like um, Raro Video released uh, – Body Puzzle on DVD, I believe, a couple years back. I have the DVD of that, and uh, I was just surprised to hear that, but it's cool, man. I mean, I'm sure the transfer on the Blu-ray is going to be awesome, but big ups to 88, man. They're always releasing some pretty cool titles. Can't go and, wrong. Can't go uh, wrong. That's, that's actually kind of a really random title, to <laughs> be honest, to get released, but eh, it's all good. And finally, we have The Pack, Cabin Fever, and Road Games all coming out from Scream Factory uh, later this summer. Uh under their IFC partnership. Yeah, well, what what isn't Screen Factory releasing this summer? They have like 20 fucking titles coming out or something. <laughs> it's like ridiculous. But yeah. Is that it for the news? That is it for the news. Alrighty. So moving along into mood swings and the uh the DVD releases, the DVD and Blu-ray releases for April 19th of uh, 2016 and originally i thought there was a lot more coming out on the 19th but then i realized a lot of the stuff that was coming out on the 19th was canadian uh release dates so a lot of the stuff was had been released like last week or the week before in the u.s it's just the way it always works sometimes we get it on the same days and sometimes we don't so then i looked at this and i was like there isn't that much actually coming out um first up here from screen factory of course we have uh the texas chainsaw massacre 2 collector's edition uh yeah coming out um very very <laughs> I, I wouldn't say controversial um release but i remember when this first got announced i was like are you kidding me man because i got that like you know the arrow edition but this one's pretty cool i'm still it's cooler not, i'm still not the hugest fan of the cover art it's on this better than the arrow um i actually prefer the arrow one because it's less busy but you're wrong so no i'm not i'm not <laughs> i never said it was better i said no, I, I said it was it yeah, well, that's that's your opinion. Um, but I, I just I don't really I'm not really digging. I don't know who's doing the art for uh, or who did the art for this one. Um, I, I know they, they have a few different artists that work for Screen Factory. Do you know who did the art work for this one? I do not. But I think it's one of the, their better arts, honestly. I, I always find it interesting that you and a couple other people don't like it because 
it is like the perfect representation of the film. Yeah, which the film is really busy. Like it's it's mm-hmm. chaotic. There's all kind of stuff happening. You know, for me, sometimes I don't need that full representation on a film. Like I could just have like. I don't like simple, simple covers that really, you know, one simple cover that always comes to mind that I find is just, it's so effective and it's really simple is the, uh, is the original poster art for alien. It's just like that egg in the middle of like space. Yeah. Which represents the film perfectly because it's like, it's isolation. It's just a single thing that ruins everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. But it's just, it's just so simple, you know? Um, I mean, there's a lot of different, I I also think that like, I'm with you. Like every every cover art does not have to be like that Scream Factory style. But yeah. because they're doing – I know that's their MO. They take scenes from the film. They take images from the film and then they they display it in sort of a collage version. Like I, I – Well, it's also based ex- on the artist because this is his style. Like, you know, I'm not sure who did this one if it was uh, Milner or whatever because, you know, like a lot of the earlier Screen Factories, they, they look very, very similar, right? Because it's done by the same artist. That's just his style of art. Um, but they, they have changed up because I know they have a few different artists. But um, this one looks very similar. don't they? They have two yeah. artists, maybe three. The color scheme on this one reminds me not fully of like the new Manhunter one and um, – I want to say maybe Serpent in the Rainbow. Like it's the, the there's certain colors. That, you know, if you put the three together, they're kind of in a way similar. But I don't know if they were all done by the same artist. So I'm starting to think maybe if Scream Factory has some type of influence. I don't know what's going on, but they're just busy. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. And I can I can totally see why people like this. I mean, who knows? Maybe it look really good on a big poster. I don't know. It does look really good on a big poster. Well, you have the poster, don't you? Yeah, I've had it for about three weeks. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, cool. Um, um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I just like the detail. Like the, you can see, like the hand grenade down bottom, and like all these different things, like the chili ball. Like I don't know. It's just like it's a fan's version of the art. Like that's what these are. These are not like the. This is not the art you would use to market the film. This is like a fan version of the art. Time. This is like yeah. for the fans. And that's for, why I always like for the collect, you know, for the collectors, the, collect- the collectors, yeah, the fans. Like yeah. I, I prefer honestly. Like if I was gonna pick like between the two of like which one I like better, I would pick the classic Breakfast Club one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I love that. That cover art's awesome because <laughs> it always makes me laugh, man. It's great. Uh, yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, uh, Blu-ray from Screen Factory. Next up here from Arrow, we're uh, you know Region One, North America is finally getting the release of the stuff. Uh, coming out April 19th. Um, I already thought this was out, but then again, I was probably thinking the UK one. I have the UK edition, but uh, for the people that didn't pick up that one, this one now is available in our region of the stuff. And I got to say the transfer on this is beautiful. It looks really good. The stuff looks, it never looked better. Still makes me hungry every time I watch this film. (laughs) (laughs) It really does. Um, Next up here is one I don't really know much about at all, being released by Section 23. It's a Japanese ghost story film. <laughs> so here's our weekly ghostly. Uh, and it's called Yamashambi. Probably didn't nail that whatsoever, but it's classified as it Japanese ghost stories. So I'm assuming it's some type of anthology type film. Looks kind of cool. I mean, you never know what you're going to get with those type of films, really. Ah, uh, and then we got, um, not really too sure who's releasing this one. Uh, doesn't even actually say, but we got all hollows Eve two. That's out. been released for a long time. I thought, but this one says all hollows Eve, October 30th. What is that? 
trying to think back. Probably the this. release date. <laughs> no, it's actually like that's like in the title of it. It's really strange, but yeah, and it's Are got you talking about the anthology, the All Hallows Eve two. Yeah. Yeah, that was released a couple months ago. I thought. You know, it's strange, man. It's really um. Nice. Yeah. It looks. That it was... looks. It looks different though. It actually looks different. That was released in February. Yeah, this one says this title will be released April nineteenth. It says All Hallows Eve, October thirtieth is the title. So this is a different film. Oh, so you yeah. just was, didn't know what you was talking about then? <laughs> That's because I didn't notice the October thirtieth. Wow, this okay. This is very interesting. Um, All Hallows Eve, October thirtieth, subtitled, coming out April nineteenth. <laughs> Makes sense, right? Uh, uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so there's another All Hallows. Wow, this is getting really confusing, man. That's really strange. But anyways, that one is coming out April 19th, apparently. And then we got up um, next up here from uh, Subrosa. We've uh, these have been released on Blu-ray. They were limited runs, and I think they were only limited to like 50 or 100 or some crazy shit like Subrosa always does with their Blu-rays. But they're getting DVD releases. Uh, first up here is called Gore Horror. Uh, I believe this is an older probably shot on video film long lost film and uh uh gordica is also getting a dvd release so if you miss those blu-rays the first time around which i know they sold out like super fast yep they're getting dvd releases which i always assumed that they were going to put them out on dvd and they did so that's good and they're cheap too i think you get these things for like 10 bucks uh next up here is a film called she wolf rising from indie rights i doubt that's the actual label but it looks really, really bad. I have to say, <laughs> like <laughs> the cover, of this it just, even the cover looks like kind of CG and stuff like that. So I don't know, man. Does not look good. Doesn't look good at all. Yeah, never know with uh, werewolf films, man. What you're gonna get? Uh, and then what else do we got coming out here? And that's pretty much it. I think we got a film. Oh, last one, last one. Film called Classroom Six. <laughs> Maybe this is like from 108 Media. What is with all these fucking random labels this week? Ugh, crazy, dude. Crazy. 108 film. I don't know. Classroom 6. When the bell rings, it's time to go to class. Yeah, the, there really isn't a lot of releases this week, surprisingly enough. Um, it's really kind of slowing down. I think that's kind of the calm before the storm. I'm a, You know, like, what is it? April. So May. Yeah, June, July, August. I know there's just a shit storm of fucking titles coming out. So this is definitely the calm before the storm. So good time to save some money, I guess. Um, but yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. I want to ask you something. When was German Angst supposed to drop? Was did it this already? This week, I think. Is it? Did it drop this Tuesday or was it coming out on the 19th? No, it was supposed to drop last Tuesday, I think. That's what I thought too, because it's listed in here as the 19th. But I swear I already talked about this. But I, the release date changed. I swear. Yeah, because we covered it last week, right? Yeah, and now it's it's listed on the 19th, so maybe it got pushed back. Probably, I don't know. I, that I'm just so disappointed in that company right now. Yeah, because I was, I did. That's why I didn't, exploitation. Yeah, that's why I didn't. I didn't say German angst, but I was like, I swear we talked about this, and I'm like, it's it's actually changed itself on this site here to the 19th. So if it, it if it didn't drop, which I haven't seen anyone show it off yet, so maybe it didn't come out. German angst quite possibly is coming out on the 19th also we've talked about this many times german anthology film so yeah so maybe it's coming out on the 19th um yeah not much this week for dvd and blu-ray releases so if you're trying to save money for the shitstorm, now's the time to do it 
<laughs> so what is your release of the week? My release of the week is very, very obvious this week. Um, if you had to pick up one of these releases, which isn't that many, you got to go with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 from Screen Factory because it is loaded with features and apparently it has a really good cover. Good- Good cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, no it's, honestly, it's a solid release. I, I have nothing against the release. I was just, you know, I was uh, slightly I, disappointed because I was like, jack off too. I was only messing around, but I honestly do hate the Arrow cover. Like that's the only thing that I didn't like about that Arrow release uh, when it got announced a few years ago. Oh no, I'm not. You know, it's definitely not my favorite cover that are you know that they've done. Or in general, I really don't like Arrow's covers for. For for the most part, like a lot of them are bad, in my opinion. Well, honestly, most of the the Arrow releases that I buy do switch over to the original car- cover art. Even if I do like the the new sanctioned artwork for them, because I'm a big fan of original poster art, you know. Mm-hmm. But I I'm honestly I'm there with you. I'm not the hugest fan of a lot of the stuff that Arrow does. I find a lot of their new artwork is a little too cartoony. Yeah, for me, and uh, but again, it it just goes strictly back to being old school. I love original cover arts and stuff. Like, you just can't beat it, man. You know those old VHS covers. It's great. So it's always nice that they include them. Yep. All right. That's going to do it for the DVD and Blu-ray releases for April nineteenth, two thousand sixteen, which happens to be my father's birthday. I just realized. Happy birthday, Father Moods. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. All right, so getting into voicemails and questions, I do believe that we have a few voicemails this week. Yeah, but before we get into like the actual voicemails, I just wanted to like absolutely just take a moment to kind of take it all in. Honestly, like the the amount of feedback that we got this week was incredible. Like both on YouTube and on uh, the Facebook group, I think yeah. my little rant really worked. <laughs> Yeah, it was crazy, man. I was getting comments on the video on my channel from people that, you know, listen to the show. never commented either. They just don't comment. I mean, and it's, you know, it, it it's natural. You know, it's natural because you're listening to a long episode or whatever, not to comment stuff. That's fine. But, you know, they most of the comments were, yeah, I've been listening to the show for this amount of time and, you know, went back and listened to it all, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wow, really, really cool. But it was cool to see those first time commenters actually take the time to, you know, answer the question <laughs> you know that yeah. was that was very nice so big ups to you guys for taking the time to do that we really really appreciate it i think i got back to pretty much everybody that's commented. maybe if you commented late last night i probably didn't yet but again thank you we really appreciate it and it helps out it really really did help out you know yeah i've probably seen maybe two people who said that they liked the idea of this splitting the shows mm-hmm. and then like another three who were sort of like impartial and they were like you know i do kind of like the idea but it doesn't really matter to me and then like a bunch who wanted it to stay the same so well you know obviously we're going to keep it the same way that it is uh but i i really really enjoyed the way that everybody kind of um you know really got involved and sort of uh really expressed their thoughts and opinions because that honestly like that was amazing to me like i was just like yes like this is exactly what i wanted out of this question uh, and to see like these long, long, long comments, I was just like blown away. And I was like, man, like this, if we could get this kind of feedback when we ask for like recommendations for a viewer's choice show, we would have been done with the viewer's choice show already, but we got literally three titles. So we are done doing viewer's choice, by the way, I'm not <laughs> doing it anymore. 
and JP just made that decision solely on his own right yep. there. But I'm, sh- I'm sure we'll be back with one in 40 episodes. But um, but yeah, yeah. No, the, the comments were fantastic because they didn't just say, you know, keep it the same and end the comment. It was they kind of gave a little bit of insight to why they prefer the longer shows. And it seems like the consensus is very similar. A lot of people use it for passing the time, you know, whether it be late at night or working and or driving, you know. If you live in a bigger city, you know, you got longer commutes and things like that. And they prefer the longer the longer episodes. And, you know, I, I'm I'm with them on that, too. So I feel it. Yeah. And I don't I don't particularly love the longer episodes, my personal self. Uh, but, you know, I'm going <clears> to <throat> do whatever everybody else likes. And I do think that God damn it, we do what we want to do, but we are listening to you guys. <laughs> but um you know i i was like really interested in hearing people say like oh like you know that i I went back and listened to all your shows and one of the things that i liked was the news like you you would mention something and then you it would get mentioned again like a couple months later and then again and again and finally we would see the outcome of that thing and even sometimes it would go into a review eventually yeah, and yeah. like even when Rob posted his twenty-two shots of the progression of, of the news, yeah. um, he said, you know, we talked about uh, digging up the marrow in episode whatever, and then we talked about it again a couple of, uh, a couple months later, and then I reviewed it, and it's like I like the full circle nature of the show because it, it really is kind of interesting to think about it that way, where it's yeah. like, wow, you know, we, the, like it's the complete history from pre-production to a review. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just looking back at our episode one, uh, some of the things that were mentioned on that episode uh, was the Jeepers Creepers 3. So <laughs> that was on the first episode. Yeah, we mentioned Jeepers Creepers 3 on the first episode. That's of right. That's Two right. Shots yeah. of Moods and Horror. So to see that we're still talking about this regularly, you know, almost what, like two and a half years later. Yeah, uh, is pretty interesting. Also, on that episode, we mentioned uh, a Friday the Thirteenth film. That's right. Yeah, uh, Trick or Treat Two, and Insidious Three. So, Insidious Three, we mentioned it. We mentioned it a bunch more times, and then eventually we re- I reviewed it. So that's another full circle sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, I think that that's really really neat to sort of see the progression of something from its initial announcement. Something like, say, Tales from the Crypt, for example, which we mentioned probably this this is probably the third time we mentioned it. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, started from its initial announcement now to its green light. And then we'll probably mention it again when it has casting and then again when it has a trailer and then again when it comes out. So yep. it's I do like that. And I, I like that somebody pointed that out, <clears throat> kind of made me look at it in a different perspective a little bit. Um, and another thing. I did say that I don't really like other shows that uh, focus heavy on the news uh, because I feel like if I'm going back through, it's a little dated and stuff. But then I, I also forgot to mention that, well, those are other shows. Those are, those are people who uh, maybe aren't, you know, good at doing that. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, like it, yeah. they do it differently or, you know, I don't know what people yeah. like i because i obviously don't listen to our show right so mm-hmm. um maybe to me listening to somebody else do it isn't as good as when we do it or yeah. not the to sounds too full of ourselves <laughs> 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 yeah. 
you know what I mean, though. Like it could just be I, done I'm only seeing though, it from the perspective of listening to somebody else do it. You know, so I don't know what it yeah. sounds like when we do it. See, like I always look forward to doing the news because I my biggest thing about it is that we always swing out on some crazy tangents and start talking. But at least it's relative to what we're talking about. And mm-hmm. I think it always leads to good conversation. I'm glad that people actually brought that that point up, too, because yeah. that's the way I look at doing the news. I think it's just always it's just a, it's like a starting point for, you know, the progression of the show. You know, we're talking about this thing and it just kind of leads in. Sometimes we go way off. I mean, we've done that in the past and we've apologized, not really, for it. But, uh, you know, I think it, for the most part, it leads into a lot of good conversations and things. And that's what this is about. This is talk radio. Essentially, this is what this is. We talk on the show. So you need starting points. And I think that's what the news does. And I think it works. Yeah. And that's something that, um, I always when I'm listening to other shows specifically recently the uh, Exploding Heads Horror podcast they go on a lot of tangents and I got to be honest like most of the time that's my favorite part of what they're talking about like if they're yep. talking about tales from the hood and they go off into something else like sometimes like those are my favorite moments of the show um I am sort of OCD in a way where like sometimes when we do it I'm just like oh my god like this is going to be a nightmare uh, to like edit or something, but, uh, usually, you know, like we had so many technical difficulties this show, like obviously the people listening to it right now do not know about those because they're edited out. But like, I was about to blow my brain. Correction. I, I think we should say you were having some serious def- yes. technical difficulties. It, it actually is all me this episode, <laughs> but nobody will know a thing because the edit will be nice and smooth. Yeah, <laughs> It's just one of those things. Every once in a while, you just have like a total shit storm. You just can't get going. Like I think the first hour of the show took fucking two hours to get through. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's hard. That's really hard mentally. But uh, um, I don't know, man. I, I think the way the way things are going are it's good. And again, I, I applaud the people that left comments. And I know there was probably people that wanted to and they just couldn't get to their computer and type something up, you know, Yeah. <laughs> or somebody no. or they read like the mountain of comments and was like, yeah, they said everything I was going to say. I don't really have anything to add. I'm not going to just happen. repeat myself. Uh, but somebody else also mentioned that uh, <laughs> that I thought this was funny. He's like, he's like, maybe you could just uh, well, some people actually mentioned moving the news to the end of the show, which uh-huh. uh, people who listen to a long time would know that that's how we originally did it. Um, we got, and actually the reason why we moved it to the, to the start of the show is because that was recommended from people that were listening. Like how about doing the, isn't that's how it came about, right? I we think it to, was a combination of that. And I was like, well, I want the feature to review to be like the main event, you know? Yeah. I, mean? I, know, I know we took some feedback and then we kind of took that and we revamped it and we're like, well, we, we did a brainstorm. We're like, well, I think the feature review is kind of. It's the main feature should be last, right? I mean, it's like going to the theater. You watch the previews and then the features. That's the last thing, right? Yeah, so it's kind of the like same the main format. Event. It's so like, we're like, why not start off the top of the show with news? Because it's just news. Like, you know, it is what it is. And yeah. I, th- I think it fell into place. But also, nice. if you really think about like, oh, people were saying like, hey, if you listen back and you don't want to hear the, the news because it's old, you can just oh, skip yeah. ahead. It's also the easiest way. To, it's always easier to skip from like the beginning to a certain point then like in the middle you know what i mean like to listen to part of something then skip ahead like an hour and then listen to another part it's easier to skip ahead when it's the first thing um but you know also somebody also mentioned that like hey why don't you just make the news more detailed like like more time stamps and (laughs) 
<laughs> and it is a good recommendation because in a perfect world, like, yeah, it would be better to do that. If you mm-hmm. go back and look at episode one, there's like 30 fucking timestamps because yeah. I would sit there and, and meticulously go through and like mark like every time we talked about something differently. Now I ain't got time for that shit. So like yeah. that's literally the reason why it's now like seven timestamps. Mm-hmm. Every, everything else is noted in the show, but the news it's like, this is the news You give a brief description of what we talked about, uh, our daily life, something that happened, blah, blah, blah. It is what it is. Yeah. But even if you look back on like episode one, like I noted each new piece of news and then I noted, noted like, for example, like when I, I noted when we got I to have, what we watched and not just the that. first review. I can't um, even remember, but yeah, I, I, yeah, actually I do remember. That's crazy actually. Yeah. And I also didn't only note when the time started, but I noted when that part ended. So from like 42 minutes and 17 seconds to 48 minutes and four seconds, we talked about video violence, (laughs) (laughs) which was just, I used to go all out with these timestamps. It was crazy, but like, I just can't do that now. Um, because even because so, look at look at this for example, we didn't do thumbnails back then. So by the time it would take me to do the thumbnail, would probably be the same amount that it would take to do the whole big time stampy thing. So like just adding something means you have to kind of slim down on something else, you know, in terms of time. Uh, it's just but, everything. It's just life in general, though. It's just yeah. things get a little busier, and and then you have to eliminate certain things to make time for it, right? So priorities, man. It's priorities. Yeah, you know, no, noting every single thing in the news, it's not really that necessary. Like, I like the way you do now, the the brief description of what we talk about and stuff, and then okay, we go from fifteen minutes to an hour and five. That's the news, man. Yep. And you know something else that was different back then is we had about the first show was two hours and thirteen minutes. We had, we had about sixteen different films in what we watched. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah, so we used we're, to go pretty hard, man. <laughs> we were fucking oh, motor mouthing it, man. Savages. Um, but see, like, for example, like I talked about the Thompsons in episode one, took me two minutes and 17 seconds to review that film or two minutes and three seconds. (laughs) Was that two minutes too long? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I still haven't seen it actually, but I've heard everyone say it sucks. Yeah. One of the weird things that we did early on was we used to go in order. Like Jeremy would go and discuss like all of his, what we watched at one time. And we oh, wouldn't do roundtable, yeah. which I hated from the very beginning. You know, so basically we changed the format quite a bit. Yeah, you we know, always change the format. But yeah, anyway, always- um, I just kind of wanted to thank all you guys for leaving us information and comments and sort of talking about it. That's really, really cool. Uh, it definitely I'll – t- I'll be honest, like coming from me personally, it really kind of re-motivated me because I got to be honest, like the one of the partial reasons why I was bringing up the news is because I didn't like doing it anymore. I haven't even really told moods. Um, and it was well, it's, it's, pretty, own... it's pretty obvious, though, man. I mean, you know, sometimes your tone just speaks for it. I mean, I don't really say anything because maybe I'm like, well, maybe I'll just kind of come out of this funk. And I'm like, sometimes it could be a little bit transparent. I mean, not to be rude or anything, but it's like, I mean, maybe I'll come out because I really enjoy doing it. I just didn't want to press the fact of like, you know, kind of making you hate it more. Yeah, well, also, you, you, you know, I, I can see that you don't want to force me to have to do it either because, like, yeah. I actually have to go and get it. So you're just, like, letting me kind of do it however I want to do it, um, which is very nice of you and definitely, like, super 
awesome that you would you know care that much to just let me do it how I want to do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I was uh, that sometimes like I hate doing it, but other like never do I hate doing it. I hate getting it is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Um, but it honestly did remotivate me. I was like, oh, like they actually like this. So like, and sometimes like guys like as much as. Like it kind of sounds stupid, but sometimes like we need to be like patted on the head. Like we we need to hear positive thing. N- not if it's in genuine. Like I would rather hear negative things. <laughs> I would rather hear negative things as a stack of EVs <laughs> falls on the ground. Jesus Christ. Um, I would rather hear negative things if they're honest. But I'm just saying like sometimes we need feedback in general to keep us motivated. Like I'm somebody like that. Like, like I really like that. Like I. Like, if I'm not hearing anything in a while, like, nobody's really saying anything, like, it, it just gets me unmotivated. Like, I don't want to do the do the show mm-hmm. uh, unmotivated. Like, I want to come here and, like, get excited to bring new content weekly. Uh, but yeah, if it's, it's always just going through the motions and nobody's saying anything, it's like, well, what the hell's the point then? I'll just mean you'll just not record it and talk to each other and have fun doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice to know that people are like technically still listening. Cause I mean, if you're answering the questions, we know that there's, you know, that people are still listening out there and caring. So yeah. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. At so, the end of the day. So, so keep it up. Keep letting us know things. I mean, it, I gotta be honest. Like I was super re-motivated to like do all kind of different stuff. Like it, it kind of revamped my whole love for the show again, just seeing all the opinions. So yeah, it definitely – I think it affected – I wasn't really saying much about it, Moods. Like I wasn't like messaging you about all the feedback and stuff. But um, I was like super jazzed about it and it like really made me like super excited. Like more than you got you, Moods, or even they will probably even ever know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thanks. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So now on to uh, the voicemails. The first one is actually related to the uh, – the thing that we were just talking about. However, um, I, I'm not, this guy does mention that he, I think listens in his car. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll play it and then I'll comment on it afterwards. What's up 22 shots. Uh, my name is Devin from Chicago calling for the first time, been a listener since about October, stumbled on the podcast coming off of Uzi's, uh, YouTube channel where I found some, uh, Great stuff, great underground picks. And, uh, yeah, it's actually turned me on to a bunch of other podcasts, and it's kind of a thing I do now uh, when I'm on my commute to work because it's about an hour, 10, hour, 15 minutes. Great way to kill time and not exhaust my CD collection. So, anyway, I'm listening to the uh, Hen and Water episode right now, and I hear you guys talking about this debacle with the uh, show length, some people trying to backtrack and not wanting to hear the old news or whatever. And uh, I'm not sure if this is something that you guys used to do, or maybe it was just something that I saw on Moose's channel or somebody else's, I don't know, got a spotty memory, but anyway, I think the best way to go about it, because you guys are like the flagship horror podcast that I listen to, because I love getting the news, the Blu-ray updates, and the what we watch segments all in the same place, super convenient, and I actually don't know anyone else who does DVD and Blu-ray releases on a weekly basis. So, I actually don't either. Yeah, I was thinking about it, and I think the best way to go about it would be don't split the episode up. Keep it all in one place. But uh, just during the editing process or whatever, when you guys are finished, just timestamp the segments so that uh, if people are watching, you know, you can just say, you know, at an hour 36 is when we 
go from, you know, the news into, uh, into moves segment or whatever else. Uh, yeah, I, I think just during the editing process or whatever, and then going back and in the in the Dropbox and description link, just uh, just timestamp which segments are happening when, and that way, yeah, people can just get along to whichever part they want to, or you can just listen to it front to back, easy peasy. But yeah, um, I'll probably be calling again later. Uh, I'm really stoked about this Henan Lauder thing, especially that it's a back-to-back Henan Lauder. Basket Case is probably in my top five favorite horror films of all time. Uh, But yeah, keep on doing what you guys are doing. Hmm. Awesome. And uh, talk to you later. Okay, so the first thing I want to say is thanks for mentioning all those uh, great things about us. And second, request granted. It's done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he obviously does not know because he he drives in a car and listens to us so therefore there is no description box in the car but yeah uh he did say that he thought he's seen it somewhere but he wasn't sure and it, mm. yeah we've been doing time stamps stamps since episode one yeah uh, it's something that and you know somebody actually did mention that they really appreciate that that we do that because other podcasts don't uh and the reason yeah. the reason that i chose to do it from the get-go was because I hated when other podcasts didn't do it. Because remember, I've been listening to podcasts way before I started podcasting. And I used to hate that. It drove me insane. I would be like, I want to know what's going on on the episode. Learn from other people's mistakes, man. Yeah, Yeah. so I did. And I was like, I'm definitely, this is something we're definitely doing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big help, man. It, it really is nice. If I if I go back into you know check something out or whatever, it's just so nice to just hit that button. Yeah, and takes your it's it, it's such a nice feature, but yeah. yeah. Right, thanks for calling. Don't let that. Yeah, be thanks a lot, man. Yeah, uh, from call. Chicago, from Chicago. Yeah, of course. Do me a favor and go punch Jeremy in the face. <laughs> so he said he had an hour and fifteen minute commute to work. I was thinking to myself, I'm like, he probably only has to go about four blocks to work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fucking busy there man super busy yeah. um, so next up we actually speaking of Jeremy he decided to call in alright what is going on everyone out there I'm your 22 shots of food and horror podcast this is your favorite year Jeremy and I hope everybody is doing well and enjoying the show without my wonderful Jewish self I call and give a little update about what's going on in my life. So I have been busy doing some PA work on some uh, on a Fox pilot here shooting in Chicago called Ubiquity. I've been working on that for the past week or so. But hard fucking work, 18 hours a day, but I'm making good money and I enjoy what I'm doing, and that's all that matters. So... I really, really hope that I will have some free time soon come back on the 22 Shots of Moon and Horror podcast and play some Texas Chainsaw Massacre and some Shankle Ankles and some Total Screens because that is what's important in life. <laughs> and I just have one question for the fuckers on the show. You are on Death Row. What would be your final meal? I think that's something we never really discussed before when we did uh, when we were planning to do our shocker show, which will never happen, but I just want to know what your final meal will be. We all know JP will like some enchiladas and some tacos, <laughs> but I'm just curious about what moods would like to have. Once again, everybody, this is your girlfriend Jeremy signing off, and I hope everybody's doing well, and hopefully I talk to you soon. 
on an episode of Twenty Shots of News and or Podcast. I'll talk to you guys later. Hope everybody's doing well. I'll talk to you guys soon. See you guys. Last mail. Well, first of all, congratulations, Jeremy, to your successful ventures as a eighteen-hour days. How the hell that's, is that's a long time? I yeah. How you how you dealing with that, man? You know that's uh, that that is a long ass day right there. Wow. Um, well, my question is, why the fuck am I on death row? Obviously, said, <laughs> wait. What did I possibly do to get on I death don't know. row? What did you use for your last phone in call? What my last phone in call <laughs> <laughs> phone um yeah that's an interesting question uh last meal on death row i would have to go with um lobster ravioli a big ass bag of combos and uh, a case of shock top uh that's how i roll so i would go with like the most amazing steak ever uh cooked probably rare or medium rare. Rare is the way to go, yeah. Uh, and I would probably get some cheese fries and fettuccine Alfredo. And that wow. would be that would be my ideal last meal. Dude, that's um, filling, man. Fettuccine and cheese fries? Holy oh yeah, dude. fuck. I, I'm going big, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> that's some heavy shit right there. Yeah. So uh, I don't I, – I mean I don't really want to be on death row. But if I was, that's what I would choose. Um, yeah, yeah, so – that's actually a pretty cool question. I, you know, I've actually – it's funny that he asked that question because I already knew the answer. Like I would thought about that before. Those were my <laughs> Wow. Yeah. That's – I honestly never thought of that before. <laughs> I don't even know why I give it. I love lobster ravioli, but yeah. That's that's cool question, Jeremy. Thanks for phoning in. Uh, Thanks for call. calling in. Because moods. Like you don't car to work, right? Like you drive to work. So like you don't – phone you call what does a phone do it calls right am i right here shut the fuck you don't up. like plane to arizona like you fly in a yeah, plane but that, that's, just, that's just different that's just different <laughs> it's not it's the same thing <laughs> whatever whatever that's all i did some thinking about this the other day. i'm not even getting i'm not even gonna get into this and try and defend my the way, the way i use call and phone i use both but you know it's in different scenario i don't know it's it's hard to explain okay but so it does uh, happen it does happen that's the point uh we got three from rob so uh start hey guys rob from georgia calling in yeah i'm on the road so i'm hoping this doesn't break up at all but uh uh, you know, I was just thinking, uh, while I'm driving here, I'm just thinking, uh, did you guys talk about, like, a, an episode of a tour ago about, uh, uh, the Hillside Strangler and, uh, uh, whether or not that could, uh, go, uh, for today's audiences? And dudes, I'm pretty sure you were like, nah, I really don't think that kind of stuff flies anymore. Well, you know, I was thinking, you guys remember Final Destination, the first one? That bathtub scene, when that kid ended up choking to death? Dude, that was pretty brutal. And, uh, you know, that just got me to thinking, maybe, uh, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, quite a strangler, but uh, something to that effect. I wonder if it could be more brutal than uh, than, than we think it could. Um, but I don't know. That was just kind of a thought. Plus, I was just watching something the other day where uh, uh, there's a scene where a guy gets, he gets shot in the face and immediately his eye kind of rolls up. And I don't know. I know he got shot, but that just seemed kind of brutal to just, I'm sure there's a lot of things that can happen when somebody starts asphyxiating to death. Um, but anyways, 
But I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, the other thing is I'm really digging that John Carpenter uh, commentary on the thing from another world. I'm uh, already listened to it once, and uh, I do believe the uh, the uh, version that he comments on moves. He refers to it as the Canadian version. It's a, it's a rough, rough version. Uh, it's definitely not cleaned up, uh, but it's three minutes longer than uh, than the regular uh, releases that we generally see, apparently. Um, and anyways, uh, there's a, a remastered clean cut of the same um, cut on the other, which is kind of cool uh, to listen to. But anyways, man, what an absolutely unbelievable commentary to listen to. If you guys ever get a chance to find that on the UK, you need to really pick that up. Uh, I just, I'm just getting a kick out of it. Uh, tonight, got a little little haul. Uh, I think it was a happy birthday to me. I picked up uh, the 1990 Night of Living Dead remake, the Spanny remake. And Twilight Zone, the movie, all for under 10 bucks. I thought that was pretty good. But anyways, I hope you guys have had a good week, and uh, can't wait to hear the new show. All right, out. Thanks for that voicemail, Rob. Yeah, nice always update. nice to hear from Rob. All right, here's uh, another one that he left. And uh, this one actually breaks up, so it's a two-parter. Hey, guys, Rob from Georgia. I know I already called once, but I thought I'd uh, call in and just uh, talk to that issue of the uh, future of the show. And uh, I think I already put something down underneath the uh, YouTube uh, episode. But, uh, you know, in terms of the show, I love the format. I know you guys went back and forth and uh, both had different kind of uh, takes on in terms of length and uh, and whatnot. And uh, I know JP said you, you're, you're a guy that likes to listen to a ton of podcasts and I know there's probably people like me uh, I really don't I don't listen to very many at all you guys you know, are you're my main um, place I go to for information of this sort and uh, and really I don't listen to I mean maybe in the horophilia community but outside of that I, I really don't look and looking for it and because uh, everything you guys do I you know it's just it's what I need it's you know <laughs> it's uh, it's great the length, you know, four, you know, three and a half, four hours, you know. I mean, I think the main thing I'm thinking about is the show notes. The show notes are awesome because, you know, it breaks everything down and, uh, you know, it allows you, you know, if you go back, you know, to the archives, all the way back to episodes, the earlier episodes, I mean, you can kind of just, you know, listen to what you want to listen to. I mean, you just kind of look at the show notes and see, okay, you know, this starts in a minute and a half in or or 23 minutes in, or, you know, two and a half hours in, or whatever. And so, I, I mean, with the show notes, I don't know if there's a reason why you'd want to split the news off into its own little thing, because I'm the kind of person, yeah. really, I mean, I may just because it's you guys, but really, I mean, if the news and everything is there, you know, I'll listen to it there in the show. I don't know if I'll necessarily um, go looking for it outside the show, because that's the show, and that's you know, the show is made up of a lot of many different parts. Uh, so, you know, I just wonder if the show notes in of themselves, you know, ought to, you know, I mean, I don't know if there's a reason to change the format at all or shorten it down. Um, so I don't know. That's just a thought. You know, I mean, sometimes I go back looking for certain things and the show notes help and uh, with that as well. And um, sometimes, you know, I'll just go to you know, sleep at night and just put it on wake up in the middle of it somewhere and so it's kind of funny where it ends up and you know because they're so long and which is great i love long things i just absolutely love listening
that's my own little take. I love the shows the way they are. I think it's an absolutely incredible treasure trove of just cinematic knowledge, information, you know, 70-some episodes now. Uh, and you're, we're already talking about episode 100 and beyond, I hope. And uh, you guys are just really putting together a, an incredible library of uh, movie knowledge. Uh, or, sorry about that, guys. Um, I think what I was just basically saying is that entire treasure trove of knowledge, I mean, you guys are building up a really incredible source. It's almost uh, encyclical, you know, know, it's like, I mean, it's just incredible to it, and I think I really enjoy it because anything and everything that I look for in terms of information is in one show. I mean, whether it's, you know, the news, uh, the coming DVD releases, and it is fun kind of to go back a couple of years and uh, listen to some of that stuff and see what's coming, what, what your thoughts are on it, uh, you know, the things you've seen, your thoughts on it then, and, uh, you know, it is fun going back, and uh, I understand, you know, JP, I understand the other concerns in terms of there are other people that just want their things to be shorter for whatever reason, but then again, it just takes me back to the show notes. You know, it just seems to me if those show notes are there and allow you to kind of break into the show wherever you want to break into, then you can. I mean, you don't have to start at zero, zero, zero and push forward. You can break in, you know, an hour and a half into it or whatever piece that you want to listen to is there. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I think it's fun to listen from start to finish as well, but it's also kind of fun to kind of break in where you want to. And so, I, I don't know, I just, I really don't know if I see any reason for it to change. And it's not just because I don't want to change. And, uh, I mean, I'm kind of excited to see what you guys ultimately end up doing. I know you're going to hear a whole varied opinion, I'm sure, from one side or the other. At least I hope you do. And uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm pretty much here. I'm for the long term, guys. You do an awesome job, and I love following it. But uh, those are my two cents worth, uh, if it counts for anything. You guys have an awesome week, and uh, we'll catch uh, later on. All right, bye. Okay, so first wow. of all, I want to say that Rob is like our – he's kind of like the encyclopedia in a way. Like when he does his videos and he's like, you know, on episode 22, they first mentioned – I like I love that. I get all excited. I'm like, oh, shit. Like this is like historical. Yeah, <laughs> it feels, I like, watch, like, feels like a big deal. <laughs> I like watching those too because I'm like, wow, that was in episode 22. I'm like learning from him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's really cool and, you know – Something funny that when Rob was talking, I started thinking about. It. I was like, he he mentioned that uh, you know the show notes and stuff, and I'm like, I'm like, it's kind of ironic that the whole thing about us uh, talking about me personally talking how everything is dated whenever all the news is dated, I in turn created this huge conversation that lasts like an arc of like two episodes in which will be completely irrelevant and dated <laughs> in like in like three weeks <laughs> that is that is ironic yeah that really is actually but but it essentially helped though you yeah, know it, yeah, it's good it, conversation pieces it got people involved and that's what we're trying to do and yeah i mean can't ask for any more than that yeah, I'm happy. Day, I think it, I'm very, very satisfied with the yeah. outcome of this. So, I mean, if nothing changes, I mean, it it, it theoretically did change something. It just it well changed JP's mind. I guess. Yeah, no, it did. You're, <laughs> so, you're absolutely right because I was even going to say that myself. I'm like, yeah, technically it didn't change anything uh, format wise on the show, yeah, but it did change my mood about. Um, for one, I was relieved a little bit because I honestly didn't know. Like, I was like. 
I was like, maybe they do. Maybe these are dragging on too long. So to to know that they're not that that one excites me and makes me happy. Uh, and two, you know, uh, it made me realize like, hey, people actually want to hear the news. So like that gives me a reason to go get the news and re- and talk about the news. So, you know, that yep. that's another thing as well. Like I was worried that like maybe like not many people really cared for it. Um, but it, I even heard, saw a few people say that that was their favorite segment, which is cool that it le- like all of our segments are somebody's favorite segment, except for the coroner's report. Nobody really cares about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking bullshit, man. Somebody actually even commented and said they, they end up uh, subscribe or did they say they subscribe to rumor or trying to get rumor? Or the, they, I didn't see that but I was because scared. of the, because they love the corners report. And that was, the, well, they didn't know about rumor magazine until I started doing it. And then they kind of looked into it and like, Oh, this is actually pretty cool. So yeah, yeah. I think rumor should just start sending me this shit for free now. <laughs> I know we need to get sponsors. Damn it. <laughs> that would be fucking awesome. I think it started out because it was uh rumor magazine is put into the horror blocks and someone had asked me if, you know, if I subscribed to Horrorblock and I said, well, not really because it's not worth it for me. These $20 subscriptions turn out to be like 45 or something, mm-hmm. you know, for shipping and, and, and conversion, all that other bullshit. I'm, plus, I'm like, they have room orgs and I have a subscription to it already, which is basically cheaper than that. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's just really not worth it for me to do. I love the idea of Horrorblocks and stuff. It's just not for me at the present moment. Yeah. So, so uh, the final thing here, uh, you know. Thanks, thanks, Rob, for the input. Like you, always, you are awesome. definitely, um, you know, top homie in in our book in terms of like listeners and friends of the show. Uh, which, like, I never will probably use the word fan. Uh, I don't really like that word, um, so I don't really say it that much. But I, I consider everybody sort of like friends, like friends and, and listeners, like that's, friends of the show. Yeah. Fr- so, um, you are the shit. Uh, we used to have uh, a really good homie named Brandon, but unfortunately, he's like big time in us now. So, oh yeah, he's working too hard trying to up us <laughs> on the uh, top ten. Yeah, you know, every <laughs> week it, Brandon, Brandon, and not every week, but like he'll say something like, "Hey, when are you guys recording?" I'll be like, uh, "Today at like four. He's like, "Hey, can voicemails still be done?" And I was like, "Yeah," and then he never calls. Uh, has Brandon <laughs> called in? No. Nope. Has, has he called in and left a message? He hasn't not since, since he he's been big time in us. I'm I thought you. I thought so, man. I was actually thinking about that the other day, oddly enough. And I was like, I'm not sure if he's called in or not since he started doing his own show, but go fucking figure. And I mean, obviously, you know, Dave just doesn't have the time because he's part of like 400 podcasts, but yeah. it makes yeah. sense. But Brandon, where are you at, man? Well, Give Brandon was such a regular caller, of- and he, I believe he was one of, he might have been our first caller. <laughs> Could have been. I know Brandon works like what four hours for a day. Phoner? He was iron. one of our first phoners. Is that how you say that? No, I, that's a <laughs> phoner. <laughs> no, that doesn't. See, now that is a perfect. You know, that's a perfect scenario where you don't use the word phone. <laughs> Probably our first caller, you know, of the show. But yeah, uh, Brandon, come on, man. You work like four hours a day. You watch a couple films. You guys don't do franchise shows. Get off your lazy ass, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and why don't Jins get a voicemail so I could call and drop knowledge? Oh, dude, I'd be calling all the time. Yeah, especially every it. time I hear an episode and I'm like, these motherfuckers are stupid. They, like, what do you mean Tells from the Hood isn't a 9 out of 10? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I would be calling in left and right. Uh, but yeah, so uh, thanks. We got one more voicemail here. Uh, first time caller. Um, Louis oh. might be, or Luis uh, might be happy with this one, but he's like kind of dead right now. So I don't, yeah. I don't know where he's been. Uh yeah, so I'm going to play it. 
Hey guys, so this is Jill from Facebook. I'm a fellow Canadian calling in. I'm a big fan of you guys and the show, of course, as you already know. Um, after listening to like all your episodes, I finally worked up the courage to call in. <laughs> I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Um, I just want to know what's your favorite show you've recorded so far and why. Some of mine have definitely been the Masters of Horror episode, the Halloween franchise review, the Battery review, and the Top 10 of 2015 when Dave and Brandon guest starred. That one was really great. Um, but honestly, I love them all. So thanks, guys, for hours of endless entertainment. It's been fun going through the back catalog and catching up. So keep killing it. And this is your hating horrible thing. Love you guys. All right, Jill Thank calling you. in. Thank you, Jill. She's been a big supporter of my channel and the show ever since, I think, forever. So that's pretty cool to hear your voice. Awesome. Thanks for calling in. And she even said call in. I'm a first-time caller. Yeah. So <laughs> she didn't uh, say phoner. Uh, and she's <laughs> from the foreign land of Canada. Come on, JP. Okay, so one thing uh, is I, I – you know, like this feels like it almost – this should have been like a – listener appreciation episode or whatever because like it, it i was thinking about this all all week and you know after seeing all that feedback and stuff it, it's so cool that like i get to know the people that listen to our show like i know i know joanna like her first episode that she listened to was necromantic like i, I know things about everybody and it's like really really cool that like our audience is so cool with us, you know. That's like not normal. I don't think. I probably know some of these things too. I just have a really bad memory at times, and I'm like, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's like you remember that Joanna's first episode was necromantic. That's crazy. Yeah, and 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 you know, not only that, but like I mean, just other things. Like like I know, like even though Matt was sort of our friend before, I think. Yeah, he was. Uh, like, he loves creatures. Like, it just, it's cool to know these different personalities um, as we get to sort of, you know, interact with these people more and more. Mm -hmm. I just love it. But um, so Jill asks us what our favorite episodes to record were. Uh, I think, honestly, the first episode that came to my mind was uh, was episode 50. And the reason for that being one of the funnest episodes was because of all the all the time and effort that we put into that show. I think it turned out quite well. Um, Ridiculously well considering. (laughs) Yeah. And it was it was one of those episodes where it was a totally different format to the show. I'm not saying (laughs) getting back to the you know, why am I bringing up old shit conversation, you know, but formats. But no, it was just it was a different type of show where we just had a list. You know, it's just that's what it was, you know, and uh, I thought it was it was a fun episode it was it was a big change up and i really enjoyed doing it what uh, one thing that i remember about that episode is i felt like you and jeremy for one thought i was crazy to to really start doing this but also had no idea how it was going to work where i saw this like clear like vision well that of, was like, how my, i wanted it to work that was my issue with episode 50 is when we kind of you know kind of conjured up this ridiculous idea at the time i, I thought it was ridiculous i was like this is this is not going to work because we're just going to get so much hate on this, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't even about that. It was just more of even accomplishing the goal. <laughs> I was just like, this is going to take a lot of effort. And I didn't really know how we were going to do it. So I wasn't that excited until you got the ball rolling and you had this, you know, certain method of how you wanted to accomplish ranking the, these films. The, there was a system that you had in your mind, which, you know, ultimately I thank you for that because 
I would have never thought of that. I would have done it the hard way. Like I, I learned everything the hard way in my life. <laughs> so I would have learned from that episode because it would have been a total failure and disaster. But I think thanks to your idea and your and your structure that it worked out quite well. And it made it fun to to do all the pregame on that. We spent hours and hours going through conversation. all that. You know, and that was remember that was a that was a regret that we had because I remember us we had this amazing discussion. I think was the discussion could have rivaled the episode probably. Yeah, this discussion that we had on Carrie and why it was such an influential film was an amazing conversation. I think that conversation that we didn't record was probably better than well, we didn't we didn't elaborate on that conversation that much in the show because there was a time constraint. You know, because yeah. going through fifty films, I mean, ultimately that show could yeah, have been seven about hours Carrie long for a half hour. Yeah, and pre like preparation. Yeah, so and, it's insane. Like some of those films in the fifty, like you only got like two two to five minutes of of us talking about them, but yeah. we literally like discussed them like fifty minutes for certain things, like in the weeks leading up. It was one of those weird moments too when we were talking about it because it was like a moment of clarity. It was like, wow, I never even thought about that. We just kind of yeah. rang off some Especially ideas. Like Carrie was a big one. Yeah, how did like Harry also become such a big conversation piece, and that was that was cool. So I, that's you know part of the reason why I love doing that episode because I realized things discussing them, and we talked about films and just learning that whole process from you, and and I was like that's really fun, and Which then ultimately we will doing be the episode soon again. Yeah, and then ultimately doing the episode, I had it made the episode so much more fun to do because I was really excited to you know to get the list out there to people and, you know, show them what the number one was and, and like how we did it. And so I, I just, it was an episode that I'll always remember doing. So, yeah. Uh, my personal favorite, uh, like if I had to pick one favorite, it would be the episode 68, which was the top 10 of 2015 with, uh, D- Dave and Brandon. I had a lot of fun with that episode in yeah. terms of like my enjoyment of recording, um, but probably my favorite episode is episode 50 and my second favorite is Masters of Horror, which I really, really enjoyed as well. Yeah, that was fun. That was a fun episode to, to you know, to revisit all the films. I had a lot of fun with that, which I'm really surprised that we haven't scheduled Masters of Horror season two. I know people have asked about it. It's happening. It'll happen. It'll and happen it, before episode 100. Yeah, we'll definitely get to that and because that's something that we're both looking forward to doing. And I wouldn't mind getting someone else on that one, too. I think it would be fun, uh, you know, to have a guest host on that if – yeah, definitely. If you want to, you know, I mean, it doesn't really matter, but it'd be a fun one to do. But. No, I feel like I feel like certain episodes, like nothing against you or me, but I feel like some episodes need a third person. Like they, like they just they fit, they flow better with a third person, um, just because they're bigger. You know, like you want you want more opinions. Unless of course it's Kyle on the show, and then it just he fucks everything up. Well, yeah, Kyle sucks. <laughs> Fuck Kyle. <laughs> oh shit you know he's never gonna listen to this episode anyways so yeah. fuck off yeah. no that's why i but, feel like I guess no i i feel that too i like i like the especially you know the the longer episodes and things like that um you know more of the franchises and things like that it's always nice having that third opinion and just kind of bouncing around especially somebody that like you know really kind of rivals yours yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. so all right but. so thanks for calling in jill um, yeah, that was awesome. I, you picked some good episodes too. She said Halloween, uh, the battery, which was honestly one of my favorites uh, as well. Uh, definitely, definitely one of my favorites. I love yeah, that battery it, episode. Because remember how surprised all of us were after yeah. we watched the film? Yeah. We're like, wow, that was a really fucking good movie. So yeah, it was fun. Yes, absolutely. All right. 
So, yeah. Is that it for voicemails? That is it for voicemails. I think I think you did say that that was the last one. So, okay. So moving along in mood swings, and I guess uh, I guess we kind of did listener feedback, and don't really got a knowledge segment this week. So we'll just jump right into the uh, the corners report. Courtesy of Rumorg of Weird Stats and Morbid Facts. This particular one is coming from issue 120, March 2012, and it has Father's Day on the cover. I love this cover. It's great. It's great. Real bloody and awesome shit right there. Uh, yeah, you know, it's getting to the point with these corners reports that I probably should have noted these and wrote them down because I had no idea what I have, uh, you know, read off in the past. <laughs> You know, and I don't want to be that time where it's like, holy shit, you read that one already and there's like thousands to choose from. That's a little embarrassing, right? Yep. Anyways, we'll get into this one. Um, John Carpenter was considered to direct The Exorcist 3. But as he explains in John Carpenter, Prince of Darkness, which I believe is a biography, um, he was ambulant about the script primarily because it didn't have an exorcism. Uh, When Blatley was... uh, was resistant to adding one, he stopped pursuing the project. Hmm. That's not like Carpenter to just pick a random sequel to be like a sort of director for hire. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, he kind of looked at the script and went, wow. Like, Has he um, done that? He's never done that. No, no. It, it, you know, that's why I thought it was quite interesting. Just hmm. reading back on that thing, I'm like, Carpenter doing was considering, but it said it wasn't, he wasn't considered to do it. It said that he was considering. So <laughs> Carpenter, I guess, has that type of pull. And yeah. uh, it's interesting he turned it down because there was no exorcism. Maybe Carpenter at that point in his life wanted to do something like that. He was really looking forward to, you know, maybe doing exorcism. I don't know. Pretty interesting, actually. That is interesting. I should probably read his biography someday. I mean, since it was stated in there. Yeah, but come on, dude. You act like you have time to read. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So that is going to conclude Mood Swings. Yeah. Awesome stuff. So uh, moving along into uh, what we watched this week and um, what do we got? Uh, We're just doing segments. Segment show. uh, Do you want to go first this week? Uh, No, you go first this week. Okay. Okay. yeah, so, of course, my segment this week is going to be Italian, my Italian stallion of the week, which, uh, thank God, I actually did <laughs> did watch an Italian film this week or had, even had time to watch films this week. It was busy. But um, this one is coming from, uh, what year? 1972. And this is like a long-lost Giallo film uh, recently released by Code Red. Uh, and it's one I had actually thought I'd never heard of until I, you know, I, I remember I kind of did a little bit of research on it. I'm like, oh, I know this film. I remember coming across this film on bootleg sites and it was a heavily bootlegged one, not heavily bootlegged, but, you know, bootlegged anyways. And it's called Eye in the Labyrinth. So from 1972, directed by Mario Canayo. I, f- I don't know how to pronounce this guy's last name. It's really, really strange. Uh, basically what this one is about, um, it's got a really simple premise. Um, it's about this girl named Julia. Uh, she, the film starts out with her sleeping. She's having this dream of her boyfriend and uh, psychiatrist. She's kind of seeing this guy. And uh, she's having this dream of him being murdered. And it seems so real after she wakes up that she kind of goes to investigate because it turns out that he has actually disappeared. 
sometime in her sleep, I guess. I don't know. So she has disappeared. And uh, basically, she uses what she saw in her dream to, you know, the clues that were in her dream to follow or she uses those to follow into the, you know, kind of this desolate island where, you know, he may have been and stuff like that. So she goes over to this island, meets this this guy and all these kind of weird eccentric people that are kind of residing on this island run by she's almost she almost seems like some type of madame. She's kind of very controlling and stuff. And all these people just hang out and do drugs and random things. But anyways, her investigation leads her to this place and she starts to, you know, obviously do the the obvious things, ask questions and things like that. And, you know, it's a giallo, so I can't really go too much further. So my thoughts on the film is uh, this is a very it's you know, it's not a very complex giallo at all. It doesn't have a lot of body count in it. Like I said, the movie starts out with a murder and it just gets into a lot of kind of almost paranoid, uh, scenes, um, involving Julia that, you know, ultimately by the end of the film, don't really even matter that any of this happened because essentially this one is ultra predictable. This is probably one of the most predictable giallos I've ever watched. Um, there's a lot of nonsensical kind of things that are happening in the film and things that don't really make a lot of sense. Um, to a point. Um, and what I mean by this is that it's more, it's, there's no police investigation in this film. It's more about her investigating, but the biggest issue with this film is the script because you ultimately know exactly who the killer is within like the first 15 minutes of the film. And, uh, so it has a kind of a different structure. It doesn't have that typical, you know, uh, black gloved murderer and stuff like that because, there's one murder in the beginning of the film. There's really nothing else the rest of the film. So it doesn't have any of that aspect. So there's not a lot of atmosphere in this film. Not a lot of uh, kind of thrilling, jarring moments throughout the film. There's a lot of slower and down moments uh, set mostly in the daytime and stuff. So it's kind of like this really offbeat giallo. It's so strange. It's it's really strange. It's not a poorly made film. It's just the script is really predictable and kind of boring at times. And yeah, it just really lacks in body count, blood, you know, all the all those type of goodies that really kind of make up a good giallo. Um, shot quite well. Um, I was surprised about the locations and things and set pieces that they used. Um, but not really a whole lot to say about this one. I think it's too predictable. Uh, for giallo, I mean that. I mean, if you're going to have a predictable outcome in a giallo, that's really not good. <laughs> you know, you shouldn't. What makes a great giallo is the is the mystery. You shouldn't be able to pick out who the killer is in the first 15 minutes. That's ridiculous. I can't even remember the last time I watched a giallo and figure out the killer that early in a film. Um, so ultimately, I was very disappointed with this one. Uh, there's not really a lot going for it. There's not a lot of memorable things, and uh, I just didn't really care for it a whole lot, man. I, I'm going to give this one about a four out of ten. It's just going to have to pass on this one, even though I was really looking forward to this because it was so obscure. Um, it's just not a great film. It, it's not a good giallo whatsoever. So, Damn, son. I know. I was Four fucking so mad with this one, man. I was like, ah, it's not good. I mean, really, a predictable giallo, isn't that like probably the worst thing you could ever have? Yeah. They're a murder mystery. Yeah. It's a mystery. You should they, be able to pick out the killer for, in the first 15 minutes. That's big downfall. But I mean, ultimately, I, but it didn't have like a lot most of, of them sort of like very like don't make sense. <laughs> not really. No, there's a lot that really do. I mean, this one, it, it's more straightforward, but it's funny because when the reveal happens and you think back into the film, you're like, why did that even happen? Or why did that scene happen? Like, that doesn't even make any sense. Obviously, it's stuff to kind of jar you one way, you know, to lead you away from the predict, the, you know, the predictiveness of the, you know, of the outcome and stuff. But I don't know, man. This one just ultimately didn't work. 
It's the, I w- there's like no there's no substance to it at all. It's just so predictable. It's bad. It's bad. I in the labyrinth. Don't recommend it. Not great. All right. So uh, with that said, we will be doing a Horror 101 this week. Horror 101 is where I review a documentary. Uh, sometimes it's about a movie. Sometimes it's like behind the scenes. Sometimes it's about something that's not movie related. Like uh, the, well, I guess the fucked up kid in Amityville was still, still movie related. But, you know, it could be anything that's kind of horrific. Uh, this time it is something to scream about from the year 2003. Have you seen this one, Moods? Something to scream about. Yeah. I don't think so. Okay, so this one is a low-budget documentary on Scream Queens. Uh, Actresses who are horror stars. Uh, They don't really have the... You can tell it's low-budget just by the list of people that they got. Um, Some people are more known than others. Like You you have uh, a lot of B-movie stars in this one. Uh, Not your, like, Jamie Lee Curtis's of the world. Uh, so this this is basically just a documentary of a list of I think there's eight to ten scream queens. Uh, uh, Brink Stevens is the host, um, and it has people like Felissa Rose, uh, who you know obviously most known for Angela and Sleepaway Camp, but has done a few other things uh, along the way, like Satan's Playground and uh, what was the other one she did? Nico's the Impaler. Um, you have Julia Strain, Debbie DeLiso, uh, Judith O'Day from Night of the Living Dead, uh, Debbie Rochon. Uh, so there, there's a few people here that have name value in horror, but like it's not the main ones you think of, when, like like Linnea and uh, all the other Scream Queens that are really popular. But I will say that that kind of gave this one a different uh, perspective because s- they sort of are self-aware. Like, like most of them are giving it to you straight. Like, it's not sugar-coated. Julie Strain was my favorite in the documentary. Like, I was not very familiar with her. Like, I didn't know anything that she really did. Um, But after, you know, looking around, like, I I saw that she, oh, like, oh, okay. She did, like, a lot of, like, smutty stuff and and a lot of, like, uh, softcore stuff and uh, some horror stuff. But mostly it's, like... Yeah, you know, she she did like the hardcore like just not hardcore porn or anything, but like she she's like done like penthouse and and like something called erotic dreams and it, it mostly just like the smutty stuff. Yeah. But she was really goddamn cool in terms of like uh, she just was straight honest and you know she talked about uh, her um, plastic surgeries and she talked about her, you know, how she's tired of doing the, this, this and that. And she can only be naked so many times doing the same thing. Um, <laughs> you know, but she was really honest and I, I really, really liked her. Uh, and then you had, uh, people like Felissa Rose who talked about like nudity and how she's like uncomfortable with her body. So she never did nudity, but if like she, since she wants to act, and, st- and granted, this was made in 2003. Uh, she, since she wants to act again, like it's something she would have to think about. Obviously, she chose the opposite because I don't think I've ever seen her nude in a film. Um, and you know, but she was she was looking pretty good in 2003. I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> she's like has that Italian look to her, and she talked about that too, where it kind of like typecast her in a way, like not not. She didn't look like what people were looking for at that era. Um, yeah, so it, it was really cool. It, like the when I first started watching it last night, 
I, I was not into it at all. I was like, this is way too low budget. This is crap. Like, this is just like an amateurish documentary. I popped it in again while I was uh, preparing for the show and um, this morning. And it actually I, – I really, really enjoyed it the second time. It was funny how that changed just because I wasn't feeling it last night. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. It's not the it's super low budget. Like they don't they don't show like barely any clips to movies. They show like still shots and like like obviously they didn't have the rights to like anything. <laughs> yeah, so, I was gonna say. Yeah. So that would have like that could have definitely improved the quality of it had they had more footage. Uh but it but what they did talk about, like, you know, Debbie Roshan or however you say her name, like she's in so much stuff and she talked about how like she made twenty five movies in a year yet still was behind on bills. Oh, man. <laughs> so yeah. crazy. So uh, these, the type of movies that they're doing is not really like, you know, very super, you know, mo- like money-wise, like just not there. Uh, so no money in those films, man. Yeah, I'm going to give this film, uh, because it was very interesting to hear, sort of a lesser tier version of Scream Queen. And they even talked about what it is to be a Scream Queen. Some of them thought it was negative. Some of them thought it was positive. Uh, obviously, it's changed a lot since then. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so uh, 6 out of 10, not bad. It can't, I got it on a DVD set with another documentary from the 90s called Shock Cinema. Uh, so yeah, they, they did have a little bit of footage to like trauma and uh, like full moon based films in this. So so it yeah. seemed like a lot of the players from like trauma and uh, full moon were sort of in this documentary. Pretty cool stuff though. I recommend huh. it. It's not cool. great, but cool. Yeah, for some reason that one must have escaped me. Oh dude, I never seen it before this. Yeah. I found that DVD. It's a double pack. And you can tell that it's an older release simply by the weight of it. Like it's a regular huh. DVD with like two D- DVDs in it, but it's heavy as hell. Like it's thick hmm. DVD case. <laughs> yeah, I've never even seen that before. That's very interesting. Usually, I'm always hunting for those those documentaries, but cool stuff, awesome stuff. So six out of ten was that? Yep. Okay. Cool. All right. So moving into what we're here the, for. Yeah, what we're all here for. Yeah. The featured reviews, uh, Frank Henenlotter Part Two. So we're going to be discussing Brain Damage from 1988, uh, Frankenhooker from 1990, and of course Bad Biology from 2008, which rounds out his uh, his filmography <clears throat> for the most part. For the most part, besides his documentaries, but yeah, Frank Henenlotter, very very interesting stuff. So we'll, I guess we'll start off here with Brain Damage from 1988. Uh, yeah, from the classic year of 1988. I completely forgot that I'd reviewed this in my 88 series. Hmm. And now thinking back, I never went back and even looked to see what I actually rated it. I should have hmm. done that. I should have done that, but I don't know. I don't know. But we'll give a brief little synopsis here. And uh, yeah, brain damage from 1988. One morning, a young man wakes up to find a small, disgusting creature has attached itself to the base of his, bra- of his brainstem. The creature gives him a euphoric state of happiness, but in return demands human victims. More specifically, their brains. <laughs> More specifically, their brains. Yes, that's what gives so, Elmer his power and actually makes him live. So when we left off last with Frank Henenlotter, I was – I feel like I went a little hard on the Basket Case films, even though I still don't love them. Um, I was – 
kind of in that mindset that we were going to argue about him. So, like, I kept doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I was really sort of down on Frank Henenlotter after that show in terms of, like, man, I, I really hope these other three films, like, do something that is not Basket Case 2 and 3. Um, and starting off with Brain Damage, I was very pleasantly surprised that it was not basket case two and three <laughs> well it, it's interesting this is frank's uh, sophomore effort which comes you know roughly eight years after or six years after you know basket case um what you know the first thing you notice about when you pop in brain damage you know and compare it to basket case there's there's so many similarities between the two films but it's the production value is so crisp and really good like frank had really kind of stepped up his game visually i mean the cinematography in all of his films is quite well done but this one just man it feels exactly like you know basket case in a way but it's like a totally different type of film you know in uh well with social relevance really this way it's quite interesting that he took this route so what exactly are your thoughts on this one uh, well, I honestly very much enjoyed it. Like I, 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 at first when I watched it, I almost feel like I do need to watch it again. Cause it, this was probably the worst one to watch first, like the day after we recorded the last show, because now it's like a little foggy in my memory. But the first thing that I remember happening where I was just like, what the fuck? What? Like, did I miss something? Am I like, am I mi- like, what is going on here? Like there's a scene where he's just like staring up at the ceiling and his light resembles that of an eye and then there's like this blue liquid i'm like what in the hell is going on Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and i didn't know if i missed something or if the movie was just going to be weird yeah and i think the movie's just weird no i mean you might have i mean because that's when he starts tripping out there because i think at that moment in the film okay basically how the film starts out is elmer he's like this little parasite creature that escapes his previous owner's uh, in this apartment building, they, they've been holding him kind of captive in their bathroom and feeding him lesser brains. See, Elmer lives off of, well, human brains give him full power. And, you know, yeah. that's where he really excels in his life is human brains. But the, his previous owners were feeding him uh, like animal brains. And it kind of it keeps him alive. But he just, and, you, know, you know, and it keeps him fully charged. Of it's in the a lesser drug. state. Yeah, he he's in a lesser state, but it keeps him fully charged with his drug, which these people feed off of, right? Um, so essentially, what Elmer does is he he kind of sticks this like needle thing in, in the back of your neck, and you get super high. It's uh, you get into this euphoric state that you know it's kind of like being on acid and you know whatever you know type of drugs, um, but it keeps him it keeps him intact. You know he's not crazy, but anyways, he ultimately escapes them and finds his way into. Uh, uh, Brian's I think Brian is what his name is in the- yes and you know that's honestly what it was now that you broke it down I missed the part where he escaped like yeah. I knew yeah. that they were like see I, for some reason I thought that was the kid's parents or something no first, and I thought they were looking for him no and I was like so- what the fuck so that's what it ultimately happens. The, this movie is super fastly paced too it's like it happens right off the bat yeah. he finds his way into Brian's room and uh, Brian wakes up from his sleep and he's like fucking bleeding everywhere and he's like what the hell happened you know and then he ultimately realizes that you know he's got this hole in the back of his neck and then he finds elmer and then he starts tripping out because now he's full of this juice see that's what elmer does he gets you hooked on the drug so you know he can basically you know you so you can start doing his bidding for him basically you know kind of thing right um so you get hooked on the drug and yeah now brian is just a he's like a slave to elmer and uh, I, I like that premise, man, because he just it gets right into it, man. And, and instantly Brian is hooked, 
like fucked up. And this this movie is a huge metaphor for society. And it, ultimately, this what this film is, is it's Frank Henenlotter's um, film for like it's like an anti-drug film is essentially what this whole film is about. You know, it's just a huge metaphor for this is exactly what was going on in the times. This is late 80s. People were getting massively hooked on drugs and super fast. And that's, you know, Frank really shows it in the pacing of the film because it's instant, man. You you get this brief little glimpse of who Brian was at one time. He's this kind of skinny character, kind of unsure of himself. And he has this girlfriend and, you know, things are going kind of whatever. But then as soon as he gets hooked on this drug, he just abandons everything in his life. And then he goes on this crazy drug filled, not rage, but he just kind of, you know, kind of steps away from his previous life. Like a lot of drug dealers do or drug users use or do in their life. Right. You know, if you get hooked on drugs, you just fucking you just kind of abandon everything. And that's essentially what Brian does. And, you know, the whole film is just Elmer really feeding off of, uh, you know, Brian's, you know, being subdued to him. And there's a lot of scenes in this film that are just fantastic, man. <laughs> really, really good. Well executed. I love the effects in the film, too. I think Elmer looks fantastic. Uh, there's this one scene that this film is mostly noted for, um, you know, that a lot of people do walk away from is where Brian meets this girl at this nightclub and they're kind of making out in the back and stuff. And she goes down on him and it's like she's like sucking off Elmer and you know, things happen. Oh yeah. That I was like, Oh damn. <laughs> it, it, it's a great, but it, it makes, it's a perfect scene and it's well thought up by Hennenlauter because that's what Elmer feeds off of brains. Why not have her sucking it like a, like a dick. And then he just goes for it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a brain. Absolutely. I think it's, it's a great scene. It's a great scene, but you know, ultimately this movie to me, um, rewatching it, man, I was like, I, I'd like to go back and actually, you know, like I said, note what I'd rated this film because this is, in my opinion, Frank Henenlotter's best film in a lot of ways because not only is this film, it has a really simple script that has a lot of social relevance, even today. I mean, let's face it, there's a lot of drug use in the world and a lot of anti-drug campaigns and things like that. But he does it in a certain way where you you can take it for one thing. Oh, it's a creature feature, blah, blah, blah. But if you look at the relevance of what he's really trying to do and it's of the times, but it isn't, it's still relative today. And I love that about this film. He showcases it so well, like the destructiveness of drugs and how society and how the government, you know, there's a lot of different metaphors in this film for. Yeah, I was actually very surprised with with that aspect of the film. I was like, okay, I see what he's doing here, especially 1988, which is which is like a big, a big time in drug culture. Yeah. uh, And, you know, just seedy areas and all these different um, like issues socially going on at the time mm-hmm. uh especially the the way he sort of uh, you know this film kind of I, and i wonder if uh ryan nicholson might have took influence from this but it, it kind of reminds me of hanger but i guess hanger kind of reminds me of this a little bit yeah yeah um not necessarily in like the over the topness or anything but just just the the seedy underworld feel to it yeah yeah but he doesn't he capture it so well you know like this is what happens when you get hooked on drugs you just go awol yeah. You know, like I love the scene where like it's one of the first scenes right after he gets totally hooked on Elmer's juice is where they, he goes to this uh, this junkyard and he's just tripping balls, man. He's just like having a great time and shit. Right. And then Elmer attacks that security guard and shit. And, like it's just that's the type of scene that captures it so well. It's like he doesn't even he has no idea why or what's going on with this Elmer character. Right. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even find out until what two or three kills later in the film. 
yeah what, like what he's <laughs> what he's doing for elmer you know he's you're getting hooked on the shit man and you know <laughs> it's such a weird concept movie too like it's kind of original <clears throat> i really like that about it um like this little brain parasite thing that that'll get you high um yeah. and it it looks the design of it's pretty cool like when it opens its mouth it has like the kind of teeth there but it also has like this like almost like it reminded me of like a scorpion's tail yeah like thing that that is obviously like a um like a needle or a yeah. syringe it's a good it's a really interesting idea how they did it because he's he, yeah he opens up he got this little syringe but it goes on the back of your neck and it's just it works out so that, perfect by the way that that like makes me like cringe yeah, uh, but even I'm though really... it doesn't even look like super realistic or anything, yeah. it's just like the idea. Like it's more like you just see it in your head as well as on the screen, like like this needle thing, like going into the back of your like spine or whatever, like on your neck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like the effects that they use too. Like they showcase the the blue juice that's coming out of this like little needle thing into the brain and stuff, and how it just it shows it resonating in the brain, and then him just tripping balls. But I like. I like the color scheme used in this film with the cinematography. It's, you know, he has a lot of great shots that really capture it, but it's the blues, man. I like the idea of Elmer being blue and the, the juice being blue and like, you know, kind of the blue hue of the film. I, I think the look of the whole film is just fantastic. It's really, really well done. I, it's just so captivating while you watch it. And then when it, when you showcase like other colors and things, when he's kind of tripping balls and stuff and it just works, man, it, it really works for me. I think it's great. But that's, you know, one aspect of the film. But, you know, the bigger picture in the film is a social, you know, relevance of the film and like all the metaphors in this. There's so many ways you can take this film. Did you notice anything about sexuality in this film? Um, specifically what? Like homoerotic scenes. Like I never I don't know if I'd ever noticed noticed noted in my previous review of this film but i'm watching the film again and i started chuckling to myself i'm like man it's just so funny that like elmer is behind brian and he's you know poking him with this you know the sharp object into his neck it's just kind of that you know and they're both males and they're you know buddy buddy and things like that and i was just kind of i noted that down and then and then there's a scene where you know he sees that big buff guy in the shower and it just kind of focuses on his ass and stuff. And I was like, for some reason, I didn't notice any of that. You know, I didn't. I've never noticed it before. I never kind of put two and two together and stuff. And and I, Aaron, my wife was sitting there watching uh, it with me. And I was like, yeah, it's so funny. Like all this kind of homoerotic things that are happening in this film. And I think there's a couple other things, too. But, uh, it, you know, it's funny. And then I literally after the film I was laughing about, it, I was kind of making some more notes. And I opened up the DVD and I started reading the inside booklet. And it actually even notes in there about how. Uh, there's homoerotic kind of undertones in the film and things like that. I was like, wow, crazy. Because I don't think I'd ever really kind of caught on to that before. I think I watched films differently before. You know, it was just one of those things that just kind of went right by me. Yeah. Oh, there's a there's a big buff guy in a shower with a naked ass. Big deal. You know, he doesn't <laughs> want to get with him because he has a girlfriend. But it's just it's all the subtleties leading up to that. I'm not really too sure why Frank would put those kind of homoerotic undertones into the film. They are there, though. They definitely well, I mean, are even the uh, the brain thing, the parasite itself is like obviously just a phallic. I mean, we quite literally see it as a penis at one point. So that's another thing I noted. Yeah, because Elmer <laughs> totally looks like a penis, of course, right? And which is kind of interesting. The way he gets high is that he's behind him, <laughs> right? And putting this, he's poking him in his neck. You know, yeah. I don't know. There, there's just certain subtleties there that you can read into. Um, but I mean, I guess it's been noted before. You know, it, it's just kind of an interesting thing to talk about, but. Yeah. Um, 
I really like Elmer in this film, though. I think Elmer's character, uh, the, I mean, the voice over for Elmer is so perfectly done. He's so calm and collective. You know, like how Elmer is this, this huge metaphor for what's what everything was wrong with the United States at the time or North America in general, like just a drug problem in the late 80s and stuff. He's just so calm and collective, kind of like a metaphor for like the government and stuff. And there's like all these weird things. And I just love the way it's voiced. It's like, you know, there's a scene where he's like, he's like, hey, man, let's go pick up some chicks. I could probably eat a million chicks right now. <laughs> and the way he fucking says it, it's so subtle, but it's like it's so wrong. But yeah. Uh, I, I love mean, the way they did it because they didn't over exaggerate the voice. Like it wasn't like way out in left field. And he was saying ridiculously silly things that was just like stupid. Like you have like a quick little chuckle and be like, oh, that's forgettable. But it wasn't though. It was it was kind of captivating every time Elmer would talk. He was so calm about everything, especially the scene where, um, you know, after Brian has like kind of that moment of clarity when he runs into the old guy. And the old guy is like trying to get Elmer back because he's like, you don't know what he's done, you know, who he is and what he is and shit like that. Mm -hmm. And so he breaks off and he goes to that seedy hotel or that motel, which is very reminiscent of Basket Case, that whole scene, right? Elmer is fucking, you know, the (laughs) the brother and, you know, kind of thing. But that whole scene is very reminiscent of Basket Case. I loved it. But there's, you know, he's obviously trying to get off the drugs in the scene. And Elmer is just like fucking feeding him with this very monotone voice and it's just it's brilliantly done it's so effective because it's it's a parrot it's a talking parasite yeah but it doesn't even manage to do it silly i think it's really really effective so. yeah i i think overall uh in terms of tone this one kind of nails it uh Brain Damage is one of those films where I do feel like I I will benefit from actually owning and watching again maybe a couple times honestly uh, it's, it's one that right away, as soon as it started and like, you, you're sort of following this character in his little apartment and he's like, he gets up out of his bed and there's like blood everywhere. Like I was into like the vibe of the film and, and sort of the atmosphere and it almost felt like almost like fantasy to me. Um, it was really, really cool. I liked the way that it was shot and the way that it, um, it was actually quite dark. I, I mean, it felt like it was dark at least. Because mm-hmm. um, th- doesn't like the whole film take place at like nighttime almost? Pretty much, yeah. Because that's kind of, I mean, and, and that's very reflective of junkies in general, right? When you think about drug use and stuff, you think about it at nighttime. And yeah. so he kind of, he kind of, filters that into the story like oh let's set this at nighttime and stuff it makes it more effective but which i yeah, like i like it really captures really that atmosphere like so that. well yeah like he captures the he makes this atmosphere it, the film is very atmospheric for what it is like probably going into you probably wouldn't think it was going to be but yeah he makes it so seedy which is explainable because it can't be in a nice area because he's addicted to drugs you know, yeah. that's kind of the point of it. So I, he, I think everything about this film, even the script, it's simple. It's effective. The social relevance is just brilliant. The the atmosphere, the mood. One thing that's really cool about this film is the music, too. It's very subtle and effective. It just yeah. every scene, it just it kind of resonates right out of the, the visuals that you're seeing. The cinematography and the music goes so well together. And uh, I think a lot of people do overlook that with with Frank Henelotter's films because the ideas are you know, on paper, silly, but then you have to kind of look at it as a, you know, the film as a whole and you kind of put all the specs of the film together. And you're like, man, he's actually quite a good filmmaker at times, man. Like this one, in my opinion, is by far his best film. 
um, I, I think it's just brilliant on all aspects. I think even the acting in the film is great. I think everyone does a really good job. The effects are fun. I mean, obviously, if you look at it today, you know, some of the the lighting and, you know, the cheesiness and the filters and things that were used and stuff. Well, it, it is what it is, but it's other times. And I think it's it's still effective. It's, he's tripping out. Yeah, I was actually also surprised at, like, how um, uncampy it was, you know, because I know right? Uh, I, I just started poking through reviews on uh, IMDb. Uh, after I watched it, and I kept seeing the word "campy" thrown around, and I was like, "Really, campy?" No. I didn't really feel it that much. No, I think it's a horror comedy that really works. I don't think there's, I mean, a lot of campiness in it at all. I mean, you, because I think campiness is a is a poor choice of word because yeah, I didn't see I, one fucking tent. There's no woods. I didn't see a campfire or a lake. <laughs> Yeah, man. Exactly, man. You know, I don't. I, just, I always wonder, like, what these people are talking about. I'm like, I go through IMDb and it's like campy. I'm thinking back. I'm thinking back. I'm like, is there is there a scene? Was it was wait there? I think I seen a pine tree. That's people's way of you know their their word that instead of using cheesy, they use the word campy. But it's like, oh, I know, dude. But it's really I know it's <laughs> but the no I know I'm just saying I'm just like no it's because it, it's like a smarter word you know so if uh, I'm gonna write something and use the word campy like on INDB but I really don't get that at all because I think it's also if you're using the word campy when you're describing this film you might be kind of missing the whole point in the theme of the film it's you know it's it's just a huge metaphor metaphorical film full of there's a lot of shit in this film that's there and it's like really relevant I think if you're missing that point you're probably so easy to point the finger and say that's just a campy kind of creature feature film that you know it is what it is right so that's the way i see it anyways so. yeah I, d- I do feel like this uh this movie in particular you know brain damage uh is definitely if you if you want to like look at frank henelotter and you want to see like what he's capable of and sort of what i think represents his style and like what his like upswing is it's brain damage yeah i mean you know, the only the only thing about this film that I've never really cared for, and I instantly thought back to it when the old guy was explaining to Brian exactly who Elmer was, you know, and he's and he's telling him about the history of him and, uh, you know, like how he, you know, he was this creature from way back in the day and he was bought by all these different people and stuff. It's one of those type of stories where you don't even need that explanation in the film to enjoy or accept what the film is actually about. It's just there for more filler and stuff. If you want to know, here's the backstory of Elmer. Yeah, it's I an mean, exposition. It, it really is exposition. Exactly. And, you know, it's it's kind of one of those moments in the film. I'm just like, yeah. And I always find myself going, I'm not going to remember that backstory because I don't even think Frank was even intending people to be like, hey, here's the backstory. You know, go explain it to your friends. <laughs> I don't think it was ever like that. But I, I just think that it's one point in the film. I just I wish it wasn't there. It's absolutely because, unneeded. However, I, I didn't have major issues with it. No, I don't have any issues with it. I just think it's an unneeded thing. I don't yeah, think it's bad right, that he put it sure. in there. It's definitely just not needed and it, it doesn't really take away a lot from the film. But, you know, at the same time, it's like I love the fact that like if if that part wasn't in the film, I'd be like, that's so cool. You know, yeah, it's just it, like it's this like little parasite classic uh, argument with Rob Zombie's Halloween film where most people say like I, you don't need to know like why this thing exists or like why, why it's doing this. Yeah. In brain damage, you absolutely 100 percent don't need to. Um, but that's that you can't use that as a direct comparison because Rob Zombie's film is different because that character exists already and he has for like eight films. So exactly. it's, you're doing something different. 
um, yep. with this, Good like point. you, you don't need to know at all. Hundred percent. You, it could literally be this thing popped up out of no, like you, or it maybe didn't. It just you don't need to know anything about it besides what it's doing. Yeah, that's right. That's but, right. Yeah, I mean that that really didn't bother me at all. Like, I mean, no. I, I agree with you what you're saying that it de- isn't necessary to be there, but you know, it it's not like it. It's more of a nitpick than anything. It, it it really is. It's just something I had to note because I had to find something. I mean, I didn't have to and I wasn't looking for something. It's just something I've always thought of when I watch a film. Just like, I don't need to know that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I didn't have I didn't see glaring problems in this film either. Like, no. OK, like it's it's a lower budget movie. Like, obviously, like the acting could be a little bit better on certain people or like, you know, some of the effects could be less rubbery looking at times. But like at the end of the day, like that's that's all irrelevant to me. Um because it's not it's not bad enough to where it takes you out of it or anything. It's just it's like yeah, of course it, everything could be a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, so the, that that meaning it's not a perfect film, uh, obviously. But uh, I mean, in terms of like actual issues that I had with the film, like I I don't have any. I know that's the thing, right? Like for what it is, it's a it's a B film that works on almost every level. Yeah. You know, like story wise, you know, effects like it's just is, it, you know, going into it, you're expecting one thing. You're not expecting fucking Hollywood type effects and blah, blah, blah. But I think everything that he showcases and puts on the screen, even the stop motion in this works because he showcases it early in the film. Yeah. And I was actually going to mention that, too. Actually, the stop motion is pretty good in this because he doesn't go overboard with it either. And yeah. again, again, everything with Elmer is so subtle in this film. And it's just amazing the tone of this, how you can take what you would think would be a silly idea and create this tone that Uh is ultimately astonishing. It's like real, it's like almost like a serious film, Yeah, but it's not, it's really strange. Yeah. I took it more serious than probably most people. Like I, I probably didn't see like, obviously I could see when there's like comedic moments, but like Mm. for sometimes like I can kind of almost like ignore, like almost take them as like, Oh yeah. Like that could be funny, but I can also take it this way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and those are the kind of comedies that I really like, which I think is the most effective thing you could possibly do for a film like this. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I do th- I do think that it's funny that I harped on Frank Henenlotter's um, stop motion so much in the original Basket Case that like <laughs> yeah. uh, he kind of redeemed himself, you know. <laughs> um, obviously, this one probably had more of a budget and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, I, do you have much more to say about this one? Not really, man. I think I touched on you know the social relevance and just how I think it's so brilliant. No, I I think it's good. I don't really think there's a whole lot more to say without giving the rest of the film away. Yep. The one thing that I will note is that, uh, we like, we see a lot of, um, familiar faces in Frank, uh, Henenlotter's film. Uh, I didn't catch if, uh, Beverly was in this film, but I know she's in the next two. Uh, but one person that I did notice (laughs) is, uh, Dwayne from basket case and, uh, (laughs) presumably Belial as well in the basket. Uh, that's a cameo, man. It's honestly one of the best things like I've ever like it's so subtle. Yeah. Like if you had never seen Basket Case, it would just have would have been a scene. Idea, yeah. But if you have like it's just so great because Dwayne sits he's sitting in the train holding this basket, doesn't even say anything. Yeah, it has <laughs> a lock on it and stuff. Has a lock, and it's just like a total shout out cameo to like Basket Case. I love that. That was that was yeah. and a honestly, really, really nice even touch. though it's a cameo, it literally directly makes those films in the same world. Yeah. Which is exactly. Cool. Exactly. That's yeah. Even on that, it, Marvel had it, it first. It totally adds this <laughs> subtle element to it, where it's just it's even more brilliant now. You're yeah. Like, that, that's the world. That's so cool, man. 
okay. really, really interesting stuff. Uh, so. so I'm going to go ahead and get into my rating. Uh, I'll go first this time. Uh, so I agree with modes. I honestly do think this is Hen and Lauder's best film. Uh, I would have to really watch it once or twice more to say if it's my favorite or not. Cause right now I still like basket case more, but this is definitely could rival that. Um, definitely, uh, way less problems in this than, than basket case. However, I don't think that it's, um, that much better than basket case. And, you know, I'm not comparing them directly or anything, just that I'm explaining it because I'm going to rate them the same. Uh, I give this one eight out of 10. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to come in much, much higher. And I think this is one of those movies that, uh, I, I swear it just keeps getting better and better for me. Maybe not the film is getting better for me. I think it's the fact that I'm understanding, maybe I'm maturing a little more and I'm, I'm reading in, not reading into things, but I'm noticing more things. And, I swear the last time I reviewed this film, I didn't even bring up like I, I might have talked about the social relevance, but just certain other things. And I think this film on a lot of levels is really brilliant. You know, he goes from making this basket case film, which is awesome. I love basket case. But then he changes up the style quite a bit. And he throws in this like meaningful theme, you know, this kind of undertone underlays um, about society at the times. And I the thing that I love about what he did is that it's still relevant today. You know, it doesn't have to be. It's just the fact that it is is really outstanding to me. I think that's really, really cool that he captured that. And, you know, I've was trying to find things, not really trying to find things, but you know, you're, when you're watching these films and you're kind of dissecting them and I was really having a lot of problems finding anything that I really disliked about this film. I think this movie is fantastic. And what sets the, the, the whole stage for this movie is uh, the fact that the pacing is so brilliant. I think there's no downtime in this film and it's not like, it's not like you saying bolt fast, you know, it's just like, it's got this perfect pace to it that ultimately plays out so well. It it's also like, moves like, like obviously the pacing moves, but like the locations move a lot too. Yeah. He doesn't spend it. He doesn't, I think it's probably a lot to do with the editing. Who knows what else he shot for the film, but I don't know. It just, yeah. Location, location, the steadiness of the film and just kind of the progressiveness. And I just like how it gets right into it. He, he captures the drug use so well in this and, yeah, this is a great film. I always found it's kind of interesting that Synapse Films released this film because if you know what Synapse is, it's like uh, it's like in the nervous system. It has something to do with uh, neurons and you know things like that in the brain, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's so interesting that Synapse Films actually ended up releasing this film. That's kind of cool, but um, maybe a little ironic. But uh, yeah, ultimately, I'm going really, really high on this one. Um, I don't care what anyone says. I think it's his best film. It's my favorite Frank Henenlotter film after rewatching this. And I'm going nine and a half out of ten. I think it's brilliant. I think it's just a, a film that really gets overlooked because of Basket Case, I would probably say. You know, because it's more notable and it's, you know... People just know Basket Case more than Brain Damage, I think. That's what it is, but... Yeah, this is a movie that I definitely, like, would recommend to, like... Like, hey, lesser-known horror films. Like, to somebody who's not, like, a hardcore horror addict that, like, knows everything, this yeah. is this is, this is is going on my, like, to recommend. Like, this will be there with, like, Alice Kills and stuff like that. Like, I have a list of things that I recommend to, like, new people that I meet. Mm-hmm. And this will be on there. Yeah. Yeah, really good film. Really good film. So then we move into 1990, which is <laughs> in Frank Henenlotter, uh, you know, filmmaking years this is quite short <laughs> you know for his next film yeah um which i believe was actually it was filmed in 1990 i think it came out after basket case 2 though yeah which did. was 91 this one i think came out 92 or something like that officially but this was done in 1990 um yeah and of course it is called frankenhooker <laughs> now if you haven't seen frankenhooker you know exactly 
what that what the title is referring to. It's definitely a play on Frankenstein, obviously. Uh, very, very simple premise, this one. Um, a medical student sets out to recreate his decapitated fiance by building her new body made of Manhattan street hookers. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Frankenhooker, right away, like, when you, when you hear the word Frankenhooker, you obviously have to know that it's not going to be as serious as, you know, anything. Like, any, any it's not going to be a serious movie. No. Obviously. Um, so right away you kind of you kind of you kind of know what you're getting in the first couple scenes because like you have this guy who's like kind of really into what he's doing and he's like doing these like experiments like on a brain with like an eyeball in it at like the dinner kitchen table while like there's a party going on and nobody thinks it's like weird or they might think it's like slightly weird but they don't like say anything (laughs) yeah um and then his wife sort of gets ran over by the uh remote control lawnmower and that you know when that happens you're kind of uh you kind of know you just kind of know yeah um that being said the rest of the film is you know quite enjoyable like his he like there's a scene right after that where he's like writing on like he has a giant printout of like the human like sort of anatomy or like the muscular stuff and, and things like that and skeletal stuff and he's like drawing all these like voltage things on it and i'm like dude that is a great piece of like prop art like because it looks like legit like i nobody knows what any of that means but if i was just gonna start writing on it like it would look it would look as if i was actually just like writing random things where this looks like it actually means stuff and i was like wow like that is it's such a big thing and like there's a scene it's like the kind of opening where he's just drawing like voltages and lines and stuff, and it all looks really legit. And I remember just thinking about that for the longest time. And it was like, wow, that is so good. I know it's like the funniest and you know most creative blueprint ever. Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's just like so populated with things, but they all like look like they could mean something. Like well, I if I tried to do it, it would just be like scribbles. I love how the accentuated. Way. <laughs> the boobs are so big on oh, it. Oh yeah, and like nipples are like design. Like, there's no real reason to like no. have the nipples that like design. <laughs> but yeah, if you if you look you at it closely, them. it's just like you could tell they had so much fun just designing that thing because people just made designs everywhere on it. Yeah. And if you look at it as a whole, it looks so good. It's like wow, that guy's got a lot of notes. And he's like a medical genius. But if yeah. you look at it, it's just like these certain like designs and stuff. It just works so well. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty yeah. good. Um, yeah. So essentially, like his idea is he's going to go out and he's going to uh, like he doesn't know. He, at first, he's like, I'm going to get flight stewardesses or whatever. And he's like, no, no, that's stupid. That's stupid. And then he's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm just going to buy their bodies. <laughs> and then he goes up to like the seedy fucking New York, Manhattan area where uh, there's just a bunch of hookers. And um well, first he gets the idea by literally drilling the idea into his head. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that scene. So that always bugs me when it's, people it's, like. It's so hand and though. Like, it's so random to do that, though. Yeah. So he, no, it's he gets a, a weird drill moment. and he, like, drills into the certain area of his, like, oh, brain. <laughs> and he comes up with this crazy idea is going to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, he begins to get these hookers. And he essentially like uh, pays them <laughs> a bunch of money to like all kind of, kind of you know, uh, Hang show out off their minutes. body because he's gonna take multiple body parts and kind of uh, construct his girlfriend from like because he gets the idea that like I can make her like even more gorgeous and give her like the best titties and like the best legs and yeah. you know like make a centerfold essentially, um, which you know 
is funny because you know it's he clearly it's not just about bringing her back like he's trying to bring her back even sexier than she was or whatever (laughs) no Um, he's he's doing it for selfish reasons yes and you know so he goes and meets this guy by the name of like zorro who's like a pimp who is actually the naked guy from brain damage in the in the shower oh yeah he's the big buff guy with the naked ass (laughs) and and there he finds out that they're kind of like uh they're all these hookers are like crackheads essentially which yeah um, he Which, asks if he can buy some of the crack off of him, and then I guess we're led to believe that he makes this super crack. Dude, I fucking laugh <laughs> so hard. Every time I see that part, it makes me laugh when he like pulls out and he's like, ah, this super crack, and he's got like this huge jar of like And it, they're like rocks. these goddamn chunks of like goddamn... <laughs> it looks like, like an ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> but I love my, one of my favorite things is when he's testing it out on the guinea pig, and this fucking guinea pig is like in the corner of the cage and he's like pumping in all the smoke and stuff. And he's like, okay. And then all of a sudden the guinea pig inhales it and just explodes. Yes. <laughs> like in a comical way, there's like no blood or gore or whatever. Cause this movie yeah, like very, just very, like fur. It's very lighthearted and stuff. Right. But, um, um, it's just such a funny scene because he's like, Oh, <laughs> he reacts and he's like, yeah, this might get a little messy. <laughs> so this, this is the first time I remember seeing Beverly since, uh, Beverly Bonner from, from basket kit since basket case two i believe um i think she was in brain damage as well but i I didn't i didn't see her uh she plays like a tv she's on the tv like talking about like these like we should legalize prostitution because you know this and that and he's like he's she's like because that crack shit's killing him and then our lead character's like and it is but this crack will kill him faster. Yeah, I, know. I love that. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, wow, she looks a lot different from Basket Case 1. Yeah, she's a little bit older. Yeah, a little bit yeah. bigger. Yeah, older and bigger, yeah, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, so so that's kind of your film there. And, and honestly, it's just, it's kind of funny. Um, mm-hmm. There's like plenty of like TNA in it. Like plenty. Yeah, yeah. Like so, so, I, which... Honestly, like if I watch a film called Frankenhooker and there's not TNA, I'm going to be pretty mad. So uh, I was glad to see that. That's good. Um, uh, I was expected, though, like one of the one of the hookers that's in the room, um, the black one, her name is Heather Hunter. She was a she was a porn star from, uh, you know, the 80s and early 90s. So she was like really, really big. Oh, really well it's just kind of random that she's in the film though it's kind of strange she's the she's the one that at the end was crawling on the ground oh. and reaches up to the door handle and then explodes <laughs> yeah so basically what happens there is he gets all these girls and he's like kind of taking pictures of them doing different things and writing on them and looking at their length of their legs and stuff and he can't really decide what he wants to do and they get all antsy so he gives them money but he also threw them the bag with the super crack in it and they just go nuts they're like oh my god it's crack and they're all like excited no, it's it's the part in the film that makes me laugh the hardest i just absolutely die laughing this part like when she discovers that big bag of super crack her reaction is beyond priceless she's literally <laughs> the happiest a person it's like if ever you hit be. like a trillion dollar lottery or something yeah like just imagine yourself the happiest you've ever been in your life and times that by a thousand her reaction is fucking priceless yeah Paul's i was just like, i was even oh laughing my out loud at that time it, it's so over the top but it's perfect and then they're like anybody got a stem and like they're all just like going nuts like like a pack of like dogs like if you have like 18 pit bulls in your house and you bring home a bag of dog food they pounce on that shit like it's a fat kid on a smarty man (laughs) they just go to town yeah Uh, so good and then they just start exploding and basically that's kind of leads you to the third 
third act where he constructs his Frankenhooker or his <laughs> wife or whatever. I always like the scene though too. It's fun. I I personally love when he's cleaning up the body parts and stuff and when he pulls up back to his house, I love how his trunk is like wide open and it's tied down, but like you can, all the body parts are hanging out the trunk. <laughs> like that's how lighthearted this film is. He's like, not, he doesn't even give a shit. He's like, I got to make my, I got to make my wife again. <laughs> yeah. And, like, and it's, it's, it's like, such, it, it's such a funny moment. It's like, um, it's like almost how New York was like perceived in general too. I think it's like kind of like a, a little, you know, saying something about that because like, you can like do anything and like nobody gives a shit like essentially is what they're saying you know uh, yeah and we've seen it in other films like friday the 13th uh eight where jason's in manhattan and like nobody's really like he just doing his things like chasing mm-hmm. people and killing them and nobody even notices <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah i think it's like a new york thing uh so dude like okay so they all explode which honestly makes absolutely zero sense whatsoever <laughs> but <laughs> that that i guess that's what super crack does man but i like the, uh, the frank henelotter talks about it and what's in the basket and he's like i have no idea why the mpaa would censor that part because originally the original cut they censored the shit out of that part he's like there's no blood and gore it was supposed to be lighthearted. it's a comedy it's supposed to be funny all he did was put firecrackers into like mannequins oh i could tell and it was and he, it he, said, he said it was purposely meant to look stupid and ridiculous because you know he wanted to be funny you know and he's like why is the mpaa cutting this <laughs> he's like this is ridiculous yeah, and man. it's easier to do it that way yeah uh, it looks it so was. funny man like the way he does the effect it uh, looks funny for if it was in another movie i would be like no it fits the tone perfectly yeah but it does fit the tone of this movie it's funny how frank hennenlauter can have such a stupid idea for a film and still make it like you know clever and funny like it just works i don't know there's something about it like you know there's so many people out there that could fuck this idea up you know just go over the top with the gore and shit like that it doesn't need to be there i think he, i think he, i think it was a right you know decision to do it that way you know, keep it lighthearted. So it's definitely an easier decision. It is, man. You know, the interesting thing about this movie is that it runs, you know, 85 minutes or whatever. And of course he is, he is, uh, you know, builds his, uh, his wife again. And, uh, it's like that. It's basically a recreation of Frankenstein, the scene from Frankenstein in a way, you know, except yeah. he, he brings it right through the roof and, you know, and I, I like the whole idea because it is a race against time because he it checked out the weather and stuff. He's like, this is when the lightning's going to hit and he's like running out of time and things. But anyways, she comes to life. But it's interesting to note because, you know, the first time you see the Frankenhooker character, uh, the assembled Elizabeth Frankenhooker, uh, is like 56 minutes into the film. And this movie only runs, you know, before the credits, like just over 80 minutes. It's interesting how little time you get with the Frankenhooker or I think that's character in the film. And it is a good thing. I honestly think that that's the weakest part of the film is the whole well, final act. Yeah, and it, it's kind of well, – it's because it. <laughs> there is some funny parts. I like how she takes on the traits of the hookers and she's like, you know, got any money, you know, looking for a date. You know, like, the things that she's saying are is so funny. But her performance I find to be so irritating. I don't know. I've always thought that her performance by – I think it's Patty Oh, Bowen, yeah. It's definitely it's, it's, annoying. It, it, sure. You know, it, it's supposed to be – like, you know, but I find it kind of – over silly for the silliness of the tone you know you know what i mean which I also doesn't make a like a sense how she has all these different like quotes like it like this movie makes zero sense by the way guys like it's not that type of movie where it's supposed to make a whole lot of sense it's just ridiculous over well, the topness she, 
her lines that she's spitting out are actually lines that some of those hookers had said. I know, but it makes no sense. <laughs> it's like I'm saying, like, yeah, why would she appar- have those lines, and why would she have lines at all? <laughs> well, apparently, like, yeah, because so, you know, so your they, bra- so you, oh, I get it. The are... remnants of your brain uh, in your left leg, you know, in your left leg, yeah. There, <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. But yeah, so you basically get you don't get a lot of the new Elizabeth, the newly constructed Elizabeth character, but um, like you said, it was pr- probably a good thing. I, and I agree. I actually 100% agree. I find it to be a little tedious in the, in the third act. But it's, there's still funny it's moments. It's just uh, the same thing over and over. You just know – at this point, you just know what's going to happen. You know where it's going. You just, well, you're, apparently you're just the, going through the motions now. Yeah, apparently we, when you construct a person from body parts, they become ultra strong. I guess like, like Frankenstein. But it's just funny how like she's this little girl throwing people around mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like okay that just ultimately makes no sense you put a bunch of body parts together and you get real strong i don't know that's weird yeah yeah i, I mean then once you know you've kind of find the the final uh section of the film where they end up back in the lab i thought that was all pretty good stuff but when she's on her sort of rampage yeah i don't know it, it's it's luckily it's not very long but yeah it's, but- it's just not strong it's not like the payoff you you hope for because yeah. you spent a lot of time with the the scientist uh, Jeffrey, and yeah. you you kind of I kind of liked him. Like he he was funny and like what he was doing was interesting to me. Yeah. Um. And the time like he spent like looking at those girls and stuff was cool. And it just like the whole spending the time with the Frankenhooker, who is like you said annoying and sort of uh just kind of you just know what she's doing already. Like you don't like and nothing really super interesting happens when she's like going after each person. Like uh, the the one guy she takes up to the room and stuff. Like oh, it's just, it's totally random. And I I think Frank he might have done that purposely too because like her, she physically is all random. Like she's got all these random parts. Yeah, and she just goes around aimlessly, randomly, and does random things. You know, she just knows random. she's just going off of previous like memories of what but she visually, used to do. What, but visually and structurally, like for the film, it, it, it's a little tedious because the film just kind of goes a little haywire. You know, for a little bit, and then I, I honestly really do enjoy like the the last ten minutes of the film. Yeah, with, yeah, uh, the last ten minutes are great. It just it turns into this like it just kind of showcases. You know, there's a lot of effects and certain things. We won't give it away, but it's fun. It, yeah. It's really fun. I was I was genuinely surprised with this one because this this is like a this is a hundred percent like the the right way to do like Basket Case two and three because it's very yeah. similar in tone, but it's just w- way better written and directed. Yeah, yeah. And, like, yeah. I mean, the effects are better and it's just funnier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one, it's so different. You come off brain damage, which you know the social. This one's so lighthearted, and there's not really a lot of social relevance in the film. I mean, to a point, there is, but uh, it's a fun film. I, I, you know, I'm actually quite surprised at how much you enjoyed this film. Yeah, um, I liked it a lot. I, I even laughed about it last night. I was like, man, Chief, he's got to be hating this right now. But <laughs> I kind of figured that you're going to get a little. Uh, it, it might play itself out a little bit, and you know, in the third act, but. Yeah, for the most I part, it's right. like you know yeah. what you're doing. <clears throat> like you know what you're dealing with. Like right away, like I didn't expect this film to be anything less than it was in terms of like its over the top nature. Um, in fact, it was a little toned down from what I was expecting. Honestly, like it, it wasn't yeah. as ridiculous as I was expecting. Plus, I mean, it's kind of a funny idea. Like this guy goes around and like gets all these hookers who nobody cares about except for their pimp. <laughs> yeah, well, it exactly. And if it's him. Yeah. Um, I thought the super crack thing was funny. Like it, it was what, like the structure of the film was like, well, like the, um, 
the props was really good. Like the the layout of like the locations they went to also really good, uh, which Hatton Lauder seems yep. to be decent at. And yep. uh, overall, yeah, I, I manages I, to it, capture that New York feel again. You know, when you know yeah. there's scenes where there's shot outside, like right, probably gorilla shot again. You know, but you know it works, and it, it, it again it adds you know into his filmography. It just he manages to capture that same tone and look and feel to films all the time. I think this film 100% fails if you don't have, like, a good portrayal of Jeffrey, which I thought that uh, James Lorenz did a great job. It's funny because, you know, Jeffrey is, you know, he's very much like Brian and, uh, you know, Dwayne. Like, Hennelotter writes these characters that are very similar. You know, they're always kind of, like, unsure, insecure, um, hesitant leading characters in films, you know. It's like how to describe them, I guess. I don't know. But all, all the main characters are all very similar. Mm-hmm. I find in his films, and I, I don't know if that's a reflection of his life. Probably, who knows? I don't know. Um, but I find it very intriguing that all his characters are written very similar in different scenarios, but they are similar. So uh, the final thing I'll sort of say on this one is, this feels like an extended Tales from the Crypt episode to me. That's exactly what it feels like. Um, really? Yeah, a hundred percent. Even the ending. Uh, sort of like the uh, oh maybe yeah, yeah. the nudity is even there like I could just imagine this like over the top like like you condense it into a half hour twenty minutes and I swear to God it's a tells from the crypt episode <laughs> that's awesome yeah um, I don't know man I, I find it I find it to be yeah it's it's actually a really interesting note never thought of it as a tale from the crypt episode but that's very interesting now when I think about it, I could totally see that. Yeah, <laughs> good. <laughs> you just totally like blew my mind right there. <laughs> it does work as one, but yeah, Frank and Hooker. Not really a whole lot to say about it. Very simple premise. Fun. This this is a great like party movie. Like if you oh, want to watch it with a couple people, it is. It is. Yeah. So you want to go into ratings? Yeah. Um, I guess we'll start. Uh, yeah. One thing I that we didn't talk about in the film was uh, I love the soundtrack in this movie. Fucking kicks ass. It's totally awesome. It. You know what movie, else is really good? Just the title card of like the glowing uh, titles. Oh yeah. Like, like yeah. that sort of neon, um, yeah. like live nude girls title card totally. type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting too because the soundtrack is super eighty sounding. Like it could have been done in like eighty five kind of thing. But it, you know, this movie was done in nineteen ninety, and it was you know at that time where music was rapidly changing. Um, so I find it very intriguing that it sounds very eighties. But I like that. You know, it it fits so well. It, it's great. Um, Hen and Lauder, again, just, he does it for me. He manages to take a completely ridiculous idea, um, you know, take a Frankenstein film and, you know, <laughs> you know, totally destroy the idea. No, I'm just joking. But uh, it's just the whole idea is ridiculous, but it works. I, I don't know how he manages to do it. I hope maybe we summed it up, you know, but it works. It, it's oddly enough, it works. And that's why I find this film to be super funny. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't because- like films like that, like the, the, the the over-the-top comedies like you're not you there's a chance that you won't like it mm-hmm. it's interesting because i don't think it's like way beyond over the top i mean obviously the, the premise is over the top and ridiculous but he manages to it's over to the kinda, top in the fact that literally nothing in the film makes sense no and you know and i think that's what kind of adds to the lightheartedness of it too it's like really but you, you, if you take it for what it is it's uh it's very, very fun. It's a really fun film. And that's how you have to watch this one. You have to have, you know, just take it as the lightheartedness it is. And uh, I give it seven out of 10. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I'm very similar. Uh, if you can sort of just like you have to know what you're dealing with with this, and if you accept it right away uh, and you're down with it, you'll you'll know. This is a perfect film that like you can pop in, watch for ten minutes, and you'll know right away if you're gonna like it at all. So don't watch it if you if you feel like you're not because it's not gonna change. Um, but if you if you're if you're okay with it, then keep rolling like I did, and I I, I found it fun. Like I really. I really, really did like it a lot. Uh, it's one that I'll probably go back to every once in a while. Like, uh, it's it's not super well made in terms of like concept and story. It's very basic. There's not much that. It's honestly like I could, you if you if I just was like, oh, Frankenhooker, this guy's wife dies and he replaces her body parts with uh, hookers. Like, I could rate the rest of the movie and come up with the same sort of film that this was because it's it's very simple and basic. Yeah. Um, but luckily, the stuff in between the story is funny, and uh, you know the hookers I thought were portrayed really well with the like crack loving addicts, just fun over the top. <laughs> Super <-ness>. crack. <laughs> Super crack was funny. I, I really like Doug Jeffrey, so that really helped me with, with this one. Overall, uh, I right where you are, man. Seven out of ten. Wow. Wow. I'm really sorry. I thought you were I, – when I was watching it last night again, I thought maybe you were going to be down to like five and a half or something. You'd be like, this <laughs> no, I like this one. Dude. It's cool. Yeah, it's cool. That's good. It's way better than the two basket case films. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so jumping ahead, uh, quite a long time actually, especially for – you know, if you're a filmmaker, to make a film 18 years later after your last one is – or not, not after your last one. I guess 91 was – so 17 years later. Um, after Basket Case 3 comes Bad Biology from 2008. Um, this is a very interesting film that was plagued with problems right from the start. Uh, just it? a little little brief history on the film. Um, right before they were ready to shoot this film, uh, Frank Henenlotter was diagnosed with cancer like uh, like a week before he was, they were ready to shoot. So as they were doing the film, he was going through chemo treatments and he was being a soldier, man. It's pretty fucked up. Um, yeah, so this film right here was uh, co-written by Ari the Rugged Man. For the people out there that don't know who he is, he's an underground hip-hop artist and he's mega, mega fucking dope. He's an amazing uh, artist. Um, but yeah, oddly enough, Ari the Rugged Man is a huge film fan, ho loves horror films, loves Frank Henenlotter. So he kind of went to Frank and said, hey, got this idea. You want to make this film? And obviously, Frank liked it enough to do it, oddly enough, you know, 17 years after his last film. So that kind of came about, you know, production was plagued two weeks before they went to go shoot. Uh, their main actress dropped out. So they had to, like, rehire. The, the main girl that's in the film is actually an artist herself. She's not even an actress. She had worked with RA and a couple other artists and stuff like that. So there was just a lot of things that were plaguing this film right off the start and stuff. And. You know, it's kind of interesting. If you actually listen to the Ari the Rugged Man song in the end credits of the Which film, did. he literally breaks it down and he tells you the whole story. Yeah, I thought of, he said Frank Henenlotter's father got cancer, but I must have misheard him. Yeah, no, he got he, Frank got, you know, and um, so but yeah, he goes through like all this type of stuff and uh, it's really cool. So you like, want to make a movie? Yeah, and exactly. And this is probably why Ari hasn't been involved in making another film since because it was such a fucking Harder disaster. Than you think, huh? A little art. It just plagued with problems. So many people dropping out locations, uh, you know, other producers just dropping off the face of the earth. It's just one thing after another. But anyways, Bad Biology did get made and came out in 2008. And uh, the story <laughs> driven by a biological excess, a man and a woman search for sexual fulfillment, unaware of each other's existence. Unfortunately, they eventually meet and the bonding in this 
of these two very unusual human beings ends in a god awful love story. <laughs> so that's pretty brief. That's pretty brief of what we're dealing with here. Yeah, I'm 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 just reading a little bit of the like the history, like you said. Like here's an example of like the just probably terrible like problems they ran into in the film and how they just had to make do all the time. Ten minutes before shooting the scene of the uh the before shooting the uh, topless scene of like the vagina faced models, the one of the actresses uh, went missing for the day. So they got the makeup artist uh, yeah. to actually play one of the topless girls, which yeah, props you, to her, man. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, go get her. <laughs> and the Ari had to pay her a little extra that day to take her top off, but she did. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fucked up, but yeah, little little things like that which can make a big deal. It, it's you know it's bigger than you seem, but yeah, this is a this is an oddity, and you know I could see Frank reading this, you know, the initial idea and being like, yeah, I can I can roll with this. Oh, this is totally like right up his alley. Like it's it's like sort of that all of his films are sort of body horror to begin with. Yeah. Um, so so. This one follows this. It, it, this is an interesting structure because it's very similar to Frankenhooker in character development in, in this film. The first like almost hour of the film is basically following. Well, the first like half an hour is like you know the girl, and then it goes to the guy, and we get a lot of character development in this film, which is kind of cool because you get to kind of read into their stuff and at least understand where you know their characters are written from. Uh, the lead girl, she's a uh, a fashion model. She's a I think that's what she is. Like she just shoots for magazines and stuff. She's a photographer. Yeah. Anyways, she was born with this very strange, um, uh, enablement of, well, her vagina essentially has eight clitorises. And so it allowed her to basically have orgasms all the fucking time. And, you know, she was always told by doctors and everyone around her that her vagina was very dirty and stuff. So she never really got to fully enjoy it until she started enjoying it. And she soon realized that nothing could ever satisfy her because she just has too much going on. Now, yeah, not hu- only that, it also kind of uh, she's essentially a mutant. She's like mutated and like she also has reproductive organs that are um, like very uh, yeah, sort her, of uh, a- amplified and everything moves a little faster. So she can get pregnant within and have and deliver a baby within a couple hours. <laughs> yeah, which I fucking. There's so many. There's a bunch of scenes in this film where she finishes having sex with the guy. Next scene, she's pushing out a baby, and then ultimately just leaves it where it is, or throws it in a gra- in a dumpster or whatever. Dumpster baby. Uh, dumpster babies. It, it's just really kind of. It's lighthearted to a point because they broke the fourth wall. Uh, before she leaves the first baby, she looks at the camera and she says, oh, come on. It's a mutated baby. You wouldn't want this thing either. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, which at first I thought she was looking in a mirror and talking to herself. Yeah, which is funny because she's telling the audience like, hey, what I'm about to do with this baby is not that bad. So which I inter- honestly don't like that much. Like, I, I don't like that they broke the I'm fourth wall. I mean, like, I, I, I'm very – when I first saw this film years ago, I, I kind of thought that was funny. But now watching it knowing, you know, just – when you break the fourth wall, you really need to kind of understand what you're doing. I mean, I understand like the whole idea of the film was completely ludicrous. So why not just kind of throw this in there? But um, I, it makes sense where they're coming from. Like, I don't think it's the best idea in the world. Uh, I think you could probably explain why you're leaving this baby behind without breaking the fourth wall. I don't even wall. think you need to. I think you just, you, you just, she just had a baby. I, it, I like, think it's we because already it's know. A- we I think already, it's a touchy subject because it's, dude, it's in this, a sense she's a poor already know, That's what I hate about uh, – like th- like who cares if it's a touchy subject, right? Like yeah. like stop – who cares? Stop pandering. No, but, but the it, thing is we already know that because she had a baby, she got pregnant and had a baby within an hour. We already know there's something wrong with it. 
So yeah. like, there's no need to really go in and and like put it in our face. Like, hey, this baby's all mutated. Like, like if you're gonna if you're gonna fucking d- leave a baby in a fucking bathtub, just have balls and leave the baby in the fucking bathtub. Don't you don't have to explain it to the audience afterwards. Yeah. See, I yeah. See, I, I'm with you too. Like, I mean, the, the route that they took by you know breaking the fourth wall and explaining it to you, I'm just like. Eh. I mean, I understand. I just knew why. We we have a character. We have a mutated vagina with seven clits. I mean, I don't really need you to explain directly to my face that this is the reason why I'm leaving this baby behind. I'm like, I kind of get it, man. Because you you knew, right? Did you know right away? Like, I knew right away. So I just felt like as soon as she started saying stuff about it, I was like, yeah, you didn't need to do that at all. Like, 100% you didn't need to. Yeah, exactly, right? But But, that's really – it's not like the biggest complaint in the world. But it's one thing that kind of like – it honestly annoyed me right away. But uh, yeah. one thing that I would like to say is that this is this is like Frank Henenlotter's like art art house film. Like it, it really has like this art house vibe to it to me. Yeah, and this one actually to me feels a lot different than his other films too. I think it starts out with that Frank Henenlotter feel, and then I think honestly the turning point might even be breaking the fourth wall because that's that's an in, that's a totally different you know aspect. He doesn't have that in any of his yeah. uh, in his films at all, right? I mean that being showcased but it's also the fill and the the feel and the overall tone in the film it's it's just an oddball film you know but the structure of it is very similar to uh frankenhooker if you notice like mm-hmm. we follow this character you know and then it switches tones into uh switches over to the guy which we follow and he's got like the backstory of his mutated penis is kind of ridiculous that they when he was when his mom gave birth to him um, instead of cutting the umbilical cord, they accidentally cut his penis, and then they had a bunch of surgeries and stuff. And That's ultimate, fucked up, man. <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, what happened was he couldn't get erected. Like he couldn't actually use his penis because while well, they fucked up his dink and all these surgeries didn't help out, so he started taking drugs. And what happened was he took too many hormonal pills. His penis enlarged to the size yeah, of he's life. like injecting steroids straight into his dick. Yeah, because he really wants to, you know, be able to use his penis, kind of thing, right? He just so wants to it, jerk off. I believe so he even said that once. He's like, what kind of teenager came and jerk off? That's right. That's right. So, you know, he gets his fucking huge mutated penis. The problem is with his penis now is that he's put so many drugs into it. The thing has got a mind of its own now. Do you, do you <laughs> think there's some sort of – um? I'm going to just ask you this real quick. Do you think there's some sort of, uh, I guess, underlying thing about like, okay, here's one that is uh, natural and it happened naturally and then here's one that's happened through science and medicine? Do you think there's anything there, or am I just that, looking into that, too much? There, mi- there might be. I never thought about it, but there could be. Not too sure. Not too sure. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But it's interesting. Again, like you know, he he talks about he, he brings in the drugs in this one, and like it's kind of funny, like how all his films kind of relate to each other. He's got very similar, to, uh, you know, themes and things that are going on, but. Um, again, you know, that guy's character, I can't remember what his name is right now, um, but he's very similar to all the other characters in all these films. I just find it so fascinating how Frank writes his, writes these characters, but I don't know, man. So ultimately you get introduction to this girl, this guy, they meet and then shit kind of goes down. Yeah, but down. they don't meet for a long fucking time. It's literally, you know, again, this movie's like 85 minutes long and they meet probably after an hour into the film and then shit kind of goes down. And uh, I don't know, man, but you do get to you do get to see the catastrophe of this guy's penis and what it can do. There's this ridiculous scene that gets it goes on for so long in the film where Buddy has sex with this girl finally, you know, and uh, he ultimately fucks her so hard that she has an orgasm for at, at the point where he phones 
or calls. Fuck you. He calls up, you know, somebody and he's like, what the fuck do I do? Like this girl's on the ground having an orgasm for the last 45 minutes and it just keeps going on and on and on. It's just such a long scene. It's ridiculous. I, f- I find it to be just it kind of tedious to watch. It, it goes on way too long. Uh, in my opinion, man, it goes on her moaning see, and screaming. I'm see, just like, I oh thought the, the longer it was going on, the more I was liking it because I was just really? like, this is great. <laughs> no, it's so I mean, I understand exactly what they're trying to do because like this is what his dick does. It satisfies. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, it's the perfect setup to see because the, the female character that we're following, she sees this happen. And this is es- essentially why they get together, you yeah, know, because, and she's just like, damn, that D, yo, I'm trying to have that. Yeah, this is the guy that's going to satisfy me. But yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, the, it's the, a love story. It is. It's a very it's a mutated love story with uh, with an interesting ending, to say the least. Actually, the very last shot in the in the film completely cracks me up. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> so stupid, but it makes yeah. me laugh. It's so it, funny, it, this one was weird to me because like I did I wasn't really like I, okay like I was interested then I was like uninterested then I was interested again and then I was like kind of accepted what it was and then I really liked it but it was kind of a, a weird flow and then I didn't like it again you know it was like yeah, I couldn't really I, tell I, what I was feeling about it until I kind of thought about it for a while later yeah and one thing I do like is I am always down for films especially horror films that use a lot of hip-hop uh music well i I probably would agree think that you would agree with that yeah man i mean i'm i prefer it way more than metal and stuff because i find metal they use it just to kind of i think the the film though too right like that these kind of like people who are just like kind of uh slacking their way they're they're making money like in non uh sort of like the main ways you do like, Oh, I'm be a doctor. Yeah. I'm be a lawyer. Like they're kind of just doing like this other shit in, in the world. And they're kind of, I would it, expect nothing less. I mean, Ari, the rugged man was actually in the film. He was the guy where he was like tearing off her clothes when she goes to his apartment. Yeah, and dude, that dialogue, by the way, that long, um, like narration, which that's why I say this is like sort of art housey because that's not yeah, something yeah. you do traditionally in film. Like this long sort of like na- narration, but it's not a narration. It's just, that's what he's saying in a different scene, but we're being visually shown another scene. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's telling her all these reasons why like they should be together and why they should have sex. And while you're seeing it kind of unfold in another scene, while, while you're hearing dialogue from what you assume would be a different yeah. scene and, and it's done really well. That's actually really that, that like even like the way he like just is talking so fast and like really break, like just saying all these reasons. Like I thought that scene was like super well done. Yeah, man, I totally agree. I think it's, it's very interesting too. Cause again, it's just so different for Frank Henenlotter. The, the, everything about this film is so different, but yeah, yeah I feel like, uh, worked. Even the music, like the whole tone, like everything about this movie is so different. I mean, Prince Paul did the the, the music, like the score for the film, of course, who was part of Stetsasonic and Dale of Soul. He did the first Gravediggers record and and so on, Handsome Boy Modeling School. Like Prince Paul is like a fucking legend. So, of course, you got like, R.A.'s music in there. And, and, and there's lots of cameos, man. Like, like Jedi you know, Mind Tricks like Vinny, pa- Like Vinnie Paz from uh, Jedi Mind Tricks and, of course, uh, Ruth Lost Causes in the film. Uh, J-Zone is in the film. He's the drug dealer. When he goes to the, the guy's apartment, the guy's selling him all the drugs and he's all talking fast and he's all like funny and shit. Well, yeah. J-Zone's fucking hilarious. Like he's actually like a real character. That guy's a great producer, funny guy, but he was kind of funny because he was totally playing himself. You know, <laughs> he's just kind of doing his thing, but yeah, I, cool I really, cameos. I was really digging like the, all the different, um, 
sort of characters that you don't like, like some of these people I don't know. Like I, I knew the uh, um, the Jedi mind tricks guy. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know really. Uh, I did know the rugged, the Ari, the rugged man guy too. But some of some of the people I didn't know. But I could I could tell that there was probably some people in there that like like were important or like were in other things or something that yeah. I, so I knew that there was like a reason why we was meeting all these characters and stuff. I thought it was cool. But that scene where they do go to that apartment and that chick is like tripping out and she's looking for something. Mm-hmm. Um, that my was Jimmy, my 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 Jimmy Jim or my yeah, Jimmy Jam. That, that was awesome. Like, like, that, like I literally that. went to like houses where like shit like that was like just there's shit everywhere and like some dudes like sleeping like next to everybody and like well, <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna lie though I'm not gonna lie though but uh, um this is the third time I've watched by Bad Biology and uh, <laughs> on it that that scene does it doesn't work in multiple times it gets actually kind of annoying uh, yeah. It does, man. Because I've, oh, man, I was just like, oh, but I, I think again, that it captures again. like those people really well. Like, because like, oh, for sure, I, it I've does. met, I, I, I've literally like, I've been in like straight drug houses where where everybody's like high as fuck, and like, th- like there's one person who's like completely like, and everybody it takes everybody has delayed reactions. Like, so there might be a girl that's like tripping out, like tr- like flipping because she can't find her lighter or something, and like everybody's just talking, and then all of a sudden like y- you might notice her or something, you know somebody will notice her and like it it i think they played that scene really well but i do understand why it would probably wouldn't um you know play well multiple times because it goes on really long yeah yeah it, it's it doesn't really it falters from replay value for sure <laughs> i don't lie man but um but yeah just a just an overall ridiculous premise for a film it's kind of interestingly structured um it, it you know it is interesting you know like how much time they spend with these characters and getting their backstories and just kind of following their everyday lives and you kind of get to know them I, in, but you know even after all that i still don't really care too much about them i never really have it's just i find i don't yeah, know i find the, the guy character to be like kind of annoying and least likable out of all frank and hen and like main guy characters uh, which actually 100%. is kind of interesting if you think about that all of his protagonists are kind of like male characters yeah for the most yep. part like this female chick is like the first like female one really but oh big time um big time yeah i liked her a little bit i thought she was cool um i thought she had i like i definitely could i definitely see a lot of potential in this and like there's a lot of like interesting things like how she's like a photographer and she like be killing people and but i almost feel like the comedy just got in a way a lot of things um because sometimes it was just like uh, i don't know like when she stops and starts talking about like she's like beating that dude with the lamp and then she stops and talks and then she beats him again like it's like i've seen that done before yeah i mean it's because that was the point when she had to explain that you know i have like hyper hyper emotions too i can meet someone fall in love you know uh break up with them and you know hate them you know all in a matter of moments and stuff and then she's explaining i'm just like yeah okay. well i like that explanation but i just yeah. it, like you know where you see somebody hit like murder somebody and then stop and like do something and then they start murdering them again like i've yeah, seen yeah. that so many times that it's just like it's not funny anymore um but you know i honestly like did not like hate this film at all yeah i'm actually quite surprised by that that you didn't really hate on the film (laughs) i I was like i wasn't expecting you to like this one at all um you know i'm starting to like it less the more i watch it just because it's it 
the the novelty of the ideas kind of worn off me a little bit but you know it's it's overall still this doesn't fun, seem like a watch. big rewatcher film like this is a one and done for me for sure i, I haven't seen this movie in years actually because this came out in 2008 i got it in 2008 and i watched it again i think a couple years after that so i haven't literally watched it in like six years or something so but you know it is what it is man Overall, I really like the like sort of drug culture that they kind of pepper into the film, and sort of the uh, the the just just the the low life culture, like the like these low yeah. lives, like they're all sort of low lives, and I, I really like that because hell, I grew up with a lot of low lives. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, so yeah. All right. Should we get into ratings? It's not really a whole lot more to say about it, really. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's not. I mean, uh, maybe you could sort of dissect a little bit more like scene by scene. But I think we get the gist of it that I I feel like that. Honestly, I I, honestly, I think I would just leave it up to the the listeners to go and check this one out because, you know, um, I mean, I'm still going to recommend it, you know, but, uh, you know, watch at your own risk. (laughs) This gives you a general idea of what you're getting yourself into. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so uh, oh, I, I I will say one thing about this film. There, this one definitely has like the most nudity in it, and there's like a lot of muff shots and stuff in this one. Yeah, there's it's actually like, a straight like straight view of a vagina at least one. Oh yeah, man, this is definitely the sleaziest of the films. But then again, given the content of the film, uh, mutated vagina and a huge cock. I mean, I feel like I would yeah. still have sex with the mutated vagina girl. That's bad. <laughs> Ari's looking that scene or that shot of him looking, <laughs> looking. into China. Yeah, Fuck, well, the vagina, so... the camera's looking through like at yeah. him. Like that's that's. But you can cool. see shits like dangling inside, but the sound effects is like water yeah. dropping and things are falling out yeah, of it. I'm just like yeah. oh, so it's gross. Like man. Ca- it sounds like you're hearing like a cave sound. <laughs> yeah, it's so fucking gross, man. <laughs> right, let's get uh, the ratings here. I'll go first. All right. Yeah. So I actually did like this one, and uh, I I I felt like some scenes were. I would have changed a little bit, like some of the breaking the fourth wall and stuff. But I, I do think this is a cool little art house film. Like I, I really got like some cool. I think that there is a little bit more underlying like uh, symbolism and and sort of commentary there too. Uh, I give this one. Uh, let's go with a solid seven out of ten. Wow, seven out of ten. Crazy. I was not expecting to come in that high. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I believe that there's a little bit of uh, more things you could probably dissect in it to um, it'd be all speculation, really. <laughs> you know, I don't know if there was intention on some of that stuff. I mean, obviously there is, but uh, it's a fun film. I'm glad that you brought up the, the art house direction of it because I've always kind of thought this one just really is so different. But again, you know, it is a collaboration too. And I'm glad that it did turn out a little bit different because, you know, the, there was a lot of influence from RA's ideas and stuff. Yeah, for there's film. a commentary on the disc, the Blu-ray that I have released by Shriek Show. Yeah. Uh, so I actually will check that. I, I am curious to hear what they have to say about it. Oh, it, uh, yeah. RA and Heaven Water. Yeah, that's really cool. Actually, I should check that out too, actually, sometime. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's still, it's a, it's a ridiculous premise for a film, but executed pretty fun. You know, uh, it keeps you in try. There is there is moments in this film that I find that are kind of I, I shouldn't say almost not really boring. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but uh, just maybe not even needed so much. I don't know. I think there's just there is a little bit of downtime in the film at times, but uh, overall very very different, which is very cool. Um, I hope that Frank comes back and makes another film because hell yeah, he's 65. He's still got another couple in him. Come on, I know Frank. right? Like I, I'm just. You know, with shit like this, I'm just 
intrigued to see what he could do next. Like, it's really fucked up, man. It's a really, really interesting shit. But sleazy, good music. I mean, you can't go wrong. The idea, I love the idea of the film. It's 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 stupid and, and retarded, but I've I, I've really enjoyed it. So, um, but I'm gonna give this one a six and a half out of ten. I'm really surprised that you came in higher than me on this one. But yeah, yeah, I bet you are because uh, normally. Uh, that's not the case, especially with like weirdo films. Usually, I'm the yeah. one that doesn't. You know, I just thought maybe you know, mutated vagina and a, and a huge dong. <laughs> like I was like, I, I feel like, but okay. the, the thing that I think is different than because I kn- I know what you was gonna say is the comedy isn't directly related to like oh it's a giant penis like like it's it's there's more more comedy than just like the whole butt of the joke is the giant penis exactly and exactly. that's what i kind of like about it that, but, that's that's very good to note actually yeah uh so this in my opinion basket case two and three are frank's worst films i think you would agree based on our ratings yeah uh, and then he has four solid films after that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which you know the funny thing is I still can I I enjoy Basket Case two and three they're just they're just so much low, more low bro brow than like these type of films you know there's just they, they just seem like there's no thought put into them yeah th- th- there's something definitely there with those ones but yeah th- like these but, ones the the other four that we talked about though man good stuff like I'm, I'm I was a little nervous coming into Hen and Lauder Part two based on my hatred towards best case two and three a little bit last week and i'm happy to say that i actually enjoyed all three of them uh really well so good shit man good shit frank henenlotter <laughs> all righty so that is gonna wrap up the uh the two-part frank henenlotter uh, director's spotlight um hope you guys enjoyed it man uh again you know like always leave feedback Give us a call on the voicemail. Leave uh, questions wherever. We will get back to those as usual. And, uh, you know, thanks for listening, guys. JP, want to take us out? Yeah, uh, I'm going to keep this one short and sweet like Jill's voicemail. So if you want to check us out, obviously do on the Facebook group page because that's where you can find everything, including, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but our voicemail number is actually listed over in the description. It's actually right there on the Facebook group page, uh, 724-426-6665. So if you want to phone or us in, go ahead and do that. Uh, you can also subscribe to the podcast, check it out on YouTube, Horophilia, all that jazz. See you guys next week with Tremors 1 through 5 with the homie Matt Cantor. Come back on the show, you and your horror movies. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see you guys next time. Peace. Peace.